Hello everyone and welcome back to Breaking Bread, the Birmingham food podcast presented by Food Obsessed Mates, Liam and Carl. I'm Liam. Happy New Year to you all. Hope you all had a good Christmas and all that jazz. We had a very relaxed one, done the usual stuff, ate too much. Hope you all are well. Hope all your resolutions are all intact. We're only three days in, but I hope they're still going strong. Massive thank you to everyone who listened to our last episode with Stu Dealey, obviously a MasterChef champion. If you watched the, the final of MasterChef, he done awesome, didn't he? Done Birmingham Proud. If you haven't listened to that, go back and have a listen. Thanks for everyone who got in touch. We do love it when people get in touch and tell us that they enjoyed the show. It means a lot to us, obviously. There's no point doing it if you don't love it. But then, obviously, getting the feedback, that means everything to us. So thank you very much for that. If you liked that episode and you liked this episode, why not subscribe? That way you won't miss any of the episodes. We've had some great guests over 2019. Obviously, it was our first year doing this. We've had some absolutely cracking guests. Obviously, Luke Butcher, head chef from Pinnells, who's a legend. Gray Treadwell from Great British Menus. We've had loads of great guests. We've got some amazing guests to come in 2020, so make sure you subscribe and don't miss any of it. On to today's episode. Really exciting episode for you today. It's with Alex Claridge, the infamous Alex Claridge. He's the owner of The Wilderness, probably one of the most unique and interesting restaurants in Birmingham and definitely one of the best meals I had in 2019. Started off as like a pop-up at Kitchen Garden before moving to Dudley Street and now it's in the jewellery quarter and in some exciting news which he actually told us on the podcast is they're actually moving to Bennett's Hill in January. Big refit, we're going to see a brand new mature wilderness. Along with the new mature wilderness restaurant I think we've got a new kind of mature Alex Claridge. I mean if you if you've ever seen anything about Alex Claridge, just go type his name into Google. You, there's all kinds of stuff that comes up. By his own admission, it's he, had headlines, you know, there's history there. He hasn't always been the most serious in interviews. We weren't sure how the interview would go, but yeah, I think with the new mature wilderness restaurant, there's a new mature Alex Claridge, and it really shines through in this episode if you have a good listen. He talks with passion and I think a little bit of regret of what happened in 2019 and I think it's probably the most honest interview we've ever done with anyone and it's probably his most honest interview. I think he tweeted the day after we recorded to say it was his most honest interview so it it really is just it's brilliant. Obviously I'm really grateful to Alex for coming on the show. When I first started this podcast I was invited to do like a few questions for like a local magazine or something and one of the questions was like who do you really want to get on the podcast who's one of your dream guests and straight away it was Alex you know his, his whole philosophy and maybe I don't know he wouldn't like to be called celebrity but there's definitely a touch of the celebrity about him basically he just seems like one of the most interesting dudes massive respect to the dudes done some amazing stuff and we really can't wait for this new wilderness to open I think it's going to be amazing he shared us some of the pictures of what it's going to look like looks stunning it's where the old nocturnal animals used to be so we're really really excited for this new restaurant it's going to be absolutely incredible so here's a big exciting 2020 for mr alex claridge hope you enjoy this episode in the past i've used humor a lot to displace the fact that like doing this job like as much as i love it you know it has put the knife in deep 
several times it's put me on my knees this past year my own struggles and my own kind of demons and like i wouldn't wish that on any human being let alone one who's got a family to provide for however whenever anyone says that oh you know i wish i did this i wish i did that it always comes to mind like quite a big bukowski fan it's a great i'm going to paraphrase here because i'm i can't remember the exact wording but his basic point is like you know isn't it funny how you know people get angry and furious about such trivial things like you know skipping a place in a queue the bus is late or they go to the supermarket and like they're the thing they wanted it's not in stock but on a major thing like wasting their whole fucking life doing something they don't enjoy they're willing to just let that slide and i kind of just think for me personally i consider myself very fortunate support of family friends every little choice i made was lucky enough to bring me to a position to do what i do do you know what i mean and like what a fucking blessing <laughs> yeah, it's funny you mentioned music because i would say the first kind of thing that made us want to come to wilderness was the music like i wasn't into michelin star food or fine diner or anything like that but even then i wanted to come to the wilderness because of your playlist yeah no i get that and, and i think i think the playlist is i mean one is the kind of music i want to listen to because like when i first had the restaurant we just played loads of like really generic like sensitive folk music but like after a certain period of time that gets to you do you know what i mean there's only so many times you can hear like meaningful covers of hallelujah before you just think i'm gonna just fucking stab myself in the leg <laughs> um uh, so it's the music i want to listen to but more importantly like i think it's so easy to lose sight of the fact that for some people you know taste menu format dining this kind of restaurant is unfamiliar you know like the first taste menu my mum and dad ever did was this restaurant and my yeah. mum was fucking shitting it like you know she was going oh you know I, I don't eat this i don't eat that oh i've never had a scallop before and like i think you have to remind yourself that we do this day in day out you know we're constantly exposed to this kind of dining experience not everyone is and i want this to be a place where it's inclusive luxury it's not it's not defined or desirable because because some people can't fit in yeah you know yeah, like, I, I should probably point out at this point that we're sitting in the lovely wilderness in the jewelry quarter recording this with Mr. Yeah. Alex Claridge. Yeah, that's uh, that's the <laughs> that was a good intro. <laughs> I should have done that at the beginning, nice, probably. Nicely casual, <laughs> just slip that slip that in. Um, but you know, like I'll see some guests come in, and you can tell that this isn't the normal vibe, and they're looking for a familiarity to cling to. You know, they're looking for something to let them know this is all right. This isn't that weird or alien. Are you glad about that though? Like, is there a little part of you that's like, yes, they wouldn't Well, it is because you know what? The music's what does it. Like, suddenly, yeah. you know, they hear Start Me Up by the Stones kick on or Bon Jovi, and like, they know that. You see their little foot tap, and you kind of see them dig that, and, you know, that's kind of their familiarity. Like, this isn't, you know, it's not some sort of like temple of gastronomy. It's not like a revered place where you've got to keep your voice down or you've got to kind of speak with received pronunciation. Like, just don't be a dick. That's pretty much the only rule. <laughs> Uh, like last week, there was a time I think ACDC came on, and like literally everyone, I looked around the restaurant, everyone was like kind of nodding amazing. their head, tapping the phone. Like, you're like, yeah. yeah. Well, whenever we kind of put a new song in the playlist, because we try and add to it so we don't go stir crazy, because you still get familiar, even on a four hour playlist, you get familiar with it. Um, you know, you, I'm always like, can we get away with that? Like, you know, we've got Rage Against the Machine, Killing in the Name of. And I, I never thought that I'd be there serving, you know, the kind of food we do whilst the speakers are kind of blasting out fuck you i won't do what you tell me yeah. but you know yeah yeah it's, it still works and um you know it's really nice like, even the playlist which is on spotify like we've got like 50 or so followers of that who are just guests of the restaurant who, i'm one of them yeah, yeah who follow <laughs> it and like that blows my mind 
Um, and I kind of think that's that, that's sort of been our, our niche that, you know, those of us who grow up as alternative kids or listening to kind of heavy metal or rock and roll, we do grow up, you know. Mm. You don't necessarily wear black Nirvana forever. My skating days are well and truly behind me. Same. Because um, <laughs> I was really shit and every time I touched a board, like I used to end up in casualty. Have you seen 18 Stone on a skateboard? <laughs> it, to be fair, that just sounds like a really great name for a rock and roll band. Um, you know, and I kind of, I felt like there's a place for alternative kids growing up who want to kind of let their hair down and, and sort of, you know, appreciate the nicer things in life, but are still cut from the same, you know, heavily black orientated cloth and um that's kind of been our our win i think um did you have a favorite band kind of growing up uh yeah <laughs> like on, honestly you're subverting your own um your own format now um <laughs> yeah i mean like it goes through phases sort of like i'm not ashamed to say that it, you know uh, it was the offspring was kind of the first band that was a vehicle to me really getting into music um which i appreciate it's a very age specific uh, yeah. dating quality but from there kind of you know I really got into sort of I suppose 80s late 70s rock and roll you know like I was a complete Ramones obsessive um, I then got this kind of really heavily political punk so like Dead Kennedys, Fugazi, Propagandi, um, Pennywise, Bad Religion those sort of bands yeah. um, and then I kind of went through the phase of you then look at the bands you love and you look at their inspiration you kind of fall backwards and you kind of you know you, you, I really got into Richard Hell I still love Richard Hell um, you get into kind of, you know, sixties and seventies, and like, you know, I'm pretty open-minded with music, really, but it, it kind of certainly was a really formative part of my adolescence, I think, and yeah. I think the kind of the willingness to say whatever you want, the kind of focus on community and focus on not taking it lying down and, and sort of affecting the change you want to represent, um, and kind of creativity, really, as as at whatever cost i think those are things i really took from it and you know like most of my teenagers they weren't spent cooking they were spent like murdering the living daylights out of kind of songs with you know a guitar or a bass guitar in my i was hand. gonna say were you in a band or anything or did you play I, any instruments I was in several they were all pretty shit thank you so much for bringing <laughs> that that childhood trauma up um no like and it's any tapes anything lying around any soundcloud or there are there are two <laughs> tracks i have on my laptop that they are bloody closely guarded um <laughs> no I think you should sneak them on the playlist if anyone notices them. Do you know what? Like, I've had like maybe two distinct times in the last year when I've thought I should record some music and put my own music on on the playlist. But then every time I do it, I kind of see it as it's probably a red flag of my first midlife crisis and a little bit self-indulgent. No one wants to have like these amazing bands with like great voices, great melody, and then listen to me basically murdering guitar whilst I cry to myself. So um, I think the restaurant is safe from my musical talents or lack thereof. Is that what you played, the guitar then? I don't want to talk about it. I played <laughs> a variety of things. Um, I was best at clarinet and piano, the most oh. rock and roll of instruments. <laughs> yeah. um, if you want to uh, to make sure you practice safe sex, play the clarinet. Fucking yeah. incredible contraceptive. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Um, but from there, yeah, you know, I, I did kind of guitar and bass and um, for a small period of time saxophone because I thought that would also be a more attractive wind instrument. Um, <laughs> still not, no. still not a particularly attractive wind instrument in my hands at least. Um, but no, I think you know, I still love music. You know, I'd, I'd be lost without it. Yeah. Um, and really bizarrely, I still, when I'm constructing flavor or looking at food, I still think of it as music. 
Um, so when I'm trying to explain, even in the last couple of weeks, we've been working on the, the Christmas chocolate collections with with Barrett, who's who's our kind of um, head pastry wizard. We'll talk about it as a chord. So you've got you know you've got low notes, you've got high notes, you've got mid notes. You can have kind of discord, you can have resolution, you can have kind of you know forte, you can have piano, you can have dynamic. That's very much still how I process flavor. Um, which I think is is kind of a throwback from just being so obsessed about music for so very long, um, and I think it's why music features quite heavily, I guess, in the identity of what the restaurant does. Because I think a great tasting menu should be constructed like a great album. You know, you don't want every song to be the same length, the same volume, you know, the same kind of vibe. You don't want an entire album of angry songs. Although I will accept there are some bands who made a career of it. Yeah. Um, you know, you want that kind of variety of of subject matter and of kind of you know dynamics and, and arrangement and i think a tasting menu is the same thing and i think that still affects me i think that still kind of drives a little bit how we put things together do you find that in the kitchen as well so you've got someone that might be an amazing bassist and you could transfer that to say pastry so that's that's his section and someone could be a great um, drummer we, so that could be like he's good at the meat he's good at cooking that put them on the grill a little bit less so because kitchens have to be a bit more dynamic than that yeah um you know we always try and move our chef to parties around to make sure that we're doing justice to their development um because otherwise you, you do get trapped pastry is a slightly different proposition because pastry chefs are a slightly different skill set i think a slightly different mentality um it's no hard and fast rules but that's the only section where we tend to have a little bit more stability um for all of the chefs i kind of think it's really important to serve your time every chef has their favorite section but you can't let them bed in or get comfortable because otherwise the minute you've got a holiday to cover or someone off sick you're screwed and going forward for their career it's going to limit their opportunity that if they can only do sauce or if they can only do garnish or larder like they're going to be so much more constrained in in their own development and you know i like to think whatever else we do the chefs who come through our doors will leave us as better chefs than when they started so um the analogy falls apart, really, you're putting us too much scrutiny, but yeah. on a kind of flavour basis, I, I think it rings true. I just want to get into how you got into food. Then, so obviously, you weren't going to make it choices. as a, a rock star, so you just got into food. Then, how did you get into food? You didn't go to that in the traditional route? No, far from it. Um, I, I didn't go to a school where there's a, a massive variety of career options presented to you. Um, you're pretty much with a gun to your head asked whether you'd like to be a doctor or an accountant or a solicitor if those don't appeal teachings offered um, so you know thing you know at the time doing something around food or something that was more practically led just wasn't a consideration um, so I went to university like a good boy didn't particularly want to did English because I thought well I you know talking what uni did you go to? One yeah, yeah. Uh, Nottingham Uni. Studied. English studies, which makes it sound even dafter than it was. The addition of the word studies, um, which was kind of a mixture of everything, really. Psycholinguistics, drama, literature, the works. And, like, you know, I, I enjoyed it to a point, if you like that sort of thing. But um, food, I think, became part of my life then, really. Because initially, like, you know, when I first went to uni, I kind of, you know, it's not particularly out there, but I went pretty anorexic when I first went to university because I kind of went a bit loopy. I didn't really know how to process as a 31-year-old. It feels like such an innocent time, but I didn't really know how to process all the changes and all the freedom and all the rest of it. So my eating went proper wacky. 
and I think I kind of realised that I had this slightly obsessive quality around food, and I'm a big believer that you know those those values don't go away, so you've got to reach out on them. So kind of cooking became a, a way to focus that obsession in a marginally more healthy way. Um, <laughs> chefing as a lifestyle, I would <laughs> question exactly whether we could endorse it as a healthy life choice, but um, it was about refocusing that, and I think it was also. I never really got so much the student culture. Um, my, you know, my wild times weren't at uni. They were sort of like my mid-twenties when I was in yeah. the thick of it chefing. Like at uni, I kind of, I didn't really understand the sort of the nihilism of, you know, student drinking and, and all the rest of it. So uh, it sounds that <laughs> tragic, but dinner parties were kind of my way of trying to build my version of that that lifestyle and I started that's cooking. what you do start doing dinner parties yeah dinner parties and I started cooking part-time just for cash and I thought it was more interesting than retail were you instantly good at it like with I've got no fucking abysmal absolutely abysmal <laughs> any chef who's like the minute I touched a pan the pan kind of lit up and then uh, I delivered like one star food like that's bollocks like you know I wasn't but I wanted to be um and I've always been quite obsessive and you know I'd, I'd get caught up in books like the linear cookbook I remember you know, a few years after uni to be fair, but I remember like, you know, I used to just stay up till 7am just making like five different versions of cucumber ketchup because like the OCD in me just wanted to, you know. Um, so I did that at uni and then my final year I almost got a presenting job for TV, um, BBC Three, but my university wouldn't let me suspend my degree so I had to choose and I didn't have the confidence to just go, fuck it, I'm going to go and do some random TV stuff. So I didn't. I stayed at university and punished myself by taking a job at Deloitte um, as an accountant. But from day one, really, it just wasn't my vibe, you know. Going back to your talent, what you said about talent, are you one of those people that believes there's no such thing as natural talent? Like, I've, I believe it as well, that there's something where I don't think anyone's really naturally talented. You put your 10,000 hours in, you really work at something, you learn. Do you know what? I'm not medium, medium between the two, I reckon. You know, like, the minute you say that, I just think, well, Freddie Mercury. Like, you can't teach... I know, like, yeah, I suppose to an extent, like, I can't sing like Freddie Mercury, but I, I can no, learn like, to play guitar, like, yeah. Like, <laughs> I, I but your rapping's absolutely on fucking point. Um, you must have definitely seen my hip-hop karaoke. I haven't, but I'd like to. Um, no, no, I think, I think there's two routes to success. I think, you know, some people do have, look at that, some fucker trying to book a table on a Sunday night. <laughs> Why did I not have the internet? What's wrong with people? Who uses a telephone? I do as well though like I mean we deliberately try and avoid it we try and always push people to the website because they can do it all themselves online and they have complete control over it but um, I still I just like the comfort of another human you know I think it makes me feel a connection do you know what I mean you're like I just want to feel alive well, it's, yeah, all these all these pretentious restaurants asking for your dietary requirements so they can do their fixed menu job. Oh, I hate telephone. Like, I would happily never speak on a telephone. I like doing podcasts because it's face to face. Yeah, yeah. But like a few times we've considered maybe doing a Skype or uh, just a telephone. It's not the same. I can't do it. It's I'm, not the same. I'm awful on a telephone. No, I get that. I was so hoping somebody was going to leave a message then, like Alex. What the fuck? <laughs> Why have they got such a poor Irish accent in this impression? <laughs> Um, that's just my accent <laughs> I enjoy it but yeah I mean to come back to talent, talent I, yeah. I think you know so I think hard work and dedication and passion will take you a hell of a lot of the way and I think that can get you to be being brilliant and I think some people have a different journey to it I think some people have an innate kind of talent for for some things for sure but I would describe my talent as innate I think it was a curiosity and I think 
I think with food, I always focused on the emotional experience of it. Like for me, when I was doing, you know, my shit dinner parties, in my mind when I was cooking, it was, it sounds really lame. It was like, I'd think, I'd be thinking already about the playlist I'd have for my dinner party. I'd be thinking about like, what foliage I'd have had on the table. Like fucking dash, dash shit. I wish I'd been focused on the food because the food was shit. But like, <laughs> you know, those are the kind of questions that went through my mind. Um, I focused very much on the emotional experience of it. And I think when I was working, it was just sort of a willingness to kind of work my bollocks off and take a bee sting. So, so what was the point where you just stopped doing the dinner clubs and you read your books and books? And well, I didn't. I went to accountancy. I worked for Deloitte for a year as an accountant. Um, but I recall I was doing a job from the NHS and there were no windows. And I remember looking at a pencil thinking, I wonder what's the right way to headbutt this pencil to not kill myself, but definitely get some time off work. And once you've hit the point of contemplating self-harm with a pencil, I think you have to reevaluate life choices. And, you know, I kind of, it was a bit of an existential crisis really, because, you know, as fundamentally, <sighs> love it or loathe it, as a grammar school boy, you've been kind of peddled this dream for your entire academic career of like, you get a fucking good job, you're going to do this career, it's respectable, yada, 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 then you will feel complete, you'll be part of the status quo, you can have 2.4 children and a medium-sized house with a decent car and like a good pension. And it all just fell apart for me. I was like, well, what the fuck? You know, what? what's the point of this? I'd already kind of walked away from doing music because um, I recorded at 18 like uh, a three-track EP, which was sufficient to... Uh, to put me off doing it any further um unfortunately that will uh always remain in the past and it was just a i kind of figured this this equation of like you're gonna have to do this career thing every day so you've got to have something that is going to keep you engaged and excited on the daily what what do you enjoy what makes you feel alive what makes you feel more human and out of those things what do you think you could monetize and and kind of food food was on that list you know, I'd enjoyed dipping my toe in the water with kind of part-time work in, you know, pubs and like, I remember I did, I did like a bloody burger shack where I was like cooking burgers, like whilst listening to kind of reggae and every time the bloody bass went out, the whole hob would shake and like wobble. <laughs> it, was, it was, you know, it wasn't salubrious. Did um, you have anyone like to talk to? You could say, this is what I'm thinking of doing. I want to pack not, a really good, steady not, job not in. Not really. Like I remember my mum and dad, you know, they're polite, good people. So their answer wasn't, what the fuck are you doing? But, that was pretty much the uh, the subtext. Um, and I think it took many years for them to understand that this wasn't a fly in the pan. Fly in the pan? That's not the... Um, flash in the pan. <laughs> flash in the pan. I ain't got fly a clue. English language. Did That's an English new, degree. Still can't fucking construct a sentence. <laughs> um, you know, I think it took some time for anyone else to, to kind of see. Of course it did. Like, you know, you suddenly go, oh, good news. I'm going to quit this job, move home. And uh, work for like, God knows, like... I think like 560 an hour or something stupid and you know I came back and I got a job as a kitchen porter you know because no one else would touch silly little posh boy was that in Birmingham or? Yeah, yeah 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 just working in cafes like nowhere salubrious yeah. um, but then everyone else thought that the posh little boy would be like have you seen a blog about a restaurant called Noma like <laughs> everyone thought I was a bellend because I was and um so you always kind of were interested in the finer kind of dining parts of things like I just like stories mate yeah that's, yeah. that's been the common thread and I've come to realise this over the years. 
I think that without stories and without experiences and without kind of things that are cut from a slightly different cloth, I think life becomes incredibly monotonous. And I think we understand ourselves better and we connect better as human beings through these stories and through these kind of, um, you know, through these these moments, um, whether that's food, a book, film, art, music. I don't think it makes a fundamental difference. I, I think, yeah. you know, stories are what capture the imagination and obviously you know when i went out looking for interesting things in food you know at the time what 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 really red zeppi was doing was fucking revolutionary you know he'd kind of taken control of his own destiny he'd announced a whole new agenda and i just thought the the bravery of the man to go no 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 like you know this is the end of kind of french cuisine dictating what we do we are going to define our region on our own terms i thought that was punk as fuck yeah yeah um and i just worked my way through Went my way through kitchens, did experience where I could. Um, started seeing a girl from Los Angeles at one point, so got to spend a little bit of time in American kitchens. Still not really got a fucking clear what's going on over there. <laughs> like, just, you know. LA is a special kind of place. Los well. Angeles is, is, is a wonderful and a twisted place yeah. all at once. I mean, yeah. some incredible produce, yeah. but also like some just some bizarre shit, like yeah. kitchens where if you weren't a sous chef, you had to wear like a knife guard, so it was safer for you to use a knife. And let me tell you now, if you're trying to chop and you're wearing like, a weird sort of robot plastic condom all over your fingers it's not safer yeah, just yeah. just learn how to chop learn how to hold a knife um and kind of just bum my way through really um worked hard so i kind of lasted you know took my fair share of abuse yeah um and then somehow kind of ended up landing on you know a, a weird gig i suppose in some ways for the transition that came but not one that I regret per se. So I ended up getting a development chef role for uh, a vegetarian restaurant that had one in Manchester, one in Birmingham, well, two in Manchester at the time, one in Birmingham. Because um, I grew up veggie. Yeah. Um, it was just a gradual <laughs> decline, um, depending on how you look at it. It wasn't even bacon that did me. It was steak, though. So I'm proud steak. of at least avoiding that cliche. Yeah. Um, and I think in many ways, like, it, it, it was an odd move for me, but it was the freedom that I liked because it was the first time Western I've kind of been, we'll just pay you to create concepts and ideas and play with ingredients and kind of have that freedom. And I'll always be very grateful and show gratitude to um, to, to, to that restaurant group, which yeah. unfortunately I, I don't think is around anymore. I think they sold up, but, and I kind of did that for a few years. And then I got to this weird point where I think it was a real crossroads where I could have either gone into, you know, a traditional fine dining restaurant and kind of gone in and done some years there but I knew that what I wanted to create wasn't necessarily that I knew already kind of whatever else I had I had a strong vision in my head of what I wanted to make people feel like yeah and that's kind of all I had I knew how I wanted to make people feel like and I knew that I wanted food to be you know a creative thing through which I could tell these stories or, or kind of express myself in some format um, you might not be able to answer this I don't know it's might be a bit stupid but do you think if you had gone down the traditional kind of, you know, catering college or food college, do you think that might have kind of trained the creativity and the uniqueness out of you? Um, do you know what? It's, it's, it's a hell of a question. Um, agonised because, you know, being a self-taught chef and it's just swings and roundabouts. It's not better nor worse. You know, it's meant that I've really valued being able to bring in some chefs from more traditional backgrounds. Yeah. Because, you know, there are gaps in my knowledge that if I'd gone through college, I wouldn't have, you know, and I'll be the first to say, like, I'm not the world's best chef. You yeah. know, and I think it's super important to kind of 
to own that like you know there are chefs out there who are supremely confident in their ability i'm like no no like i cook some interesting stuff i've got some interesting ideas about food and i've got a great team around me and that's it yeah. you know what i mean um so you know i, I think there's compromises that have to be made but i think I'm, I'm very willing and the older i get the more so i am to kind of know what i'm good at and what i'm not and i definitely think that my particular way of looking at food and my particular approach with flavor and with i suppose the the meaning behind it the concept side i think that's symptomatic of of having a more kind of free form and, and sort of self-taught education in, in kitchens. Yeah. Have you always known that you were qu quite limited? Like when you first started, did you think, cause it, a lot of the times when someone starts their own business or their own restaurant, it's a massive attribute to be able to turn around and say, you know what? I'm not the fucking best at this. So I'm going to get somebody else who is the best at this. Oh yeah. No, well, you know, I mean, kitchens inherently rely on you and as good as your team. Even if you're like, you know, fucking Gordon Ramsay. Have you always known that like from the beginning or? Because some people don't, uh, some people aren't very good no, at that. No, I mean, I, I think, you know, I went into it from the start and looking, you know, I work best creatively actually as part of a team. Yeah. And always have like, you know, I work well with bouncing off other people. Um, and I think I've always known that, but I think the older I've got, the more I've appreciated exactly where, you know, where to add value and where to not. Do you know what I mean? And bizarrely, like the best lesson I've learned is, whether it's in the business side or kind of, you know, the food side or the drink side, knowing when the, when to just get the fuck out of the way, like when to kind of add your value and kind of be involved, but as the business owner to know when to go, I'm not going to help anybody right now because <laughs> I'm just going to be annoying. I should fuck off and let these guys get with their jobs and, and just support really them like and support really them when they need that. it, you know. Um, and I think it's, it's 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 a super hard balance to get to provide enough support, but not too much. Like it's a little bit Goldilocks. Um, but I think we're we're getting to grips with it, and I've you know, a lot of my kind of key players, I've worked with them for long enough now that they know my quirks. You know, they know yeah. how how I approach flavor, they know how I approach food, they know instinctively when I'm going to like something, and they know when they're going to have to tell me something that's going to make me hit the fucking ceiling. Yeah. And um, you know, the, the the smart ones amongst them have worked out how to to trick me into telling me things I don't want to hear. But you know, I think a great piece of advice I picked up on the business side is just like your go-to has to be gratitude, even if someone's ruining your day because they're telling you something you don't want to hear. Like as opposed to just going, I don't want to hear that. Fuck you, which is a really easy instinctive response. Like. You know, I really, really, really try these days to always go, do you know what? Thank you. Thank you yeah. for being honest. Thank you for telling me this information because I can do something with that. Yeah. Um, you know, roll back three years ago and like 10 out of 10, it was a fuck you. Probably <laughs> followed by like, you know, fucking off outside to like chain smoke. But how's that come about? Have you just maturity, age? Like, what is it? Just you learn? Mature, maturity, age, you know, hanging out with good people who show you different ways of doing things and yeah. you know I, i'm gonna sound a bit more millennial than i want to but like i listen to like podcasts that are meant to be like you know inspirational ones yeah and um some of them are just like proper cringe because it's a bunch of like tech entrepreneurs from america who are all, like 16 and gonna change the world and like i can't be doing with that but there's some really great nuggets and there's always a lesson do you know what i mean yeah. there's always yeah. a lesson and and also failure you know like for every success we've had like i fucked something right up to get to that point and um success is a pretty uh limited teacher yeah, failing yeah, hard yeah. teaches you a lot faster yeah. was it win or learn isn't it so you either yeah, yeah. do it brilliant or you learn the hard one. yeah yeah and sometimes it can be hard in a situation to think oh it's okay because i'm learning but um once you kind of clear the debris like that's the reality 
Do you ever suffer with imposter syndrome? Um, I think everybody does on occasion. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, again, part of perhaps the same general kind of development is kind of just realizing that everyone's in the same boat and, and realizing that you don't really know shit all about anything. Um, like for every lesson I've learned, like it's partly just making peace with the fact that there's a lot of stuff outside your control. There's a lot of stuff you don't know with, with every chef or every business person you look up to and you think they're doing really well. You've got no idea what's going on behind the scenes. You don't know what they've yeah. gone through. You don't know what they're going through. Like, you know, don't get me wrong. Like even when we went to the AA awards in September and you know, like some serious big boys there who like, I really look up to like, just, you know, walking past, you know, Michael Wignall or like getting to, you know, to meet Paul Ainsworth or any of those kind of guys yeah. who I've looked up to, like it's surreal and you're sort of like, I'm not sure, not sure what's going on here. But I think as opposed to kind of letting that sit in me as negativity where I internalize it and go, oh God, I don't deserve this. Again, not to sound too hippie here, but I just give thanks. How cool to be yeah. in a room with those guys, right? You know, when we had the staff canteen dinner here and you've got one table with Paul Foster and Tom Shepard, two really great chefs, really good guys, sat next to each other eating your food and like saying hello and asking you how it's going. Just like, thank you. That's cool, man. Like, <laughs> I'm grateful for everything that we're given. I don't think hospitality is a lifetime business. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. will I have the wilderness in 40 years time? Probably not. By that point, we'll all be, you know, doing whatever our robot overlords wish us I to do so. I mean, I'm a chef, so I think 40 years time, I'm overstating my life expectancy, <laughs> to be honest with you. But um, no, I think humans in general. I've been outdone. The, 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 the nihilism's gone well off the chart. You spoke a little bit about advice and every episode I've ever done with any chef, I normally ask for just a piece of advice. And I think... Don't do it. The advice... <laughs> That's what every chef does. Every chef always says that as well. But the, the advice I kind of want for you is that we're recording this on a Sunday night and there's probably people at home now who are dreading going to work tomorrow, Monday morning. Work <laughs> Me in too, a, hun. <laughs> but they probably work in a professional... Like they're doing a job they fucking hate, like in a professional... Yeah. Like you were doing accountancy. They're probably, they're probably doing that. And they're dreaming of doing like their own kind of food business on the side or training to be a chef, but they've got a family so they can't afford yeah. to quit and go to college. So what would what would your advice be to anyone who's looking to go down a different route other than the traditional classical route? Well, yeah, I think you've got a couple of things wrapped up there. I mean, I would genuinely say that until the politicians decide exactly how they're going to end this country, um, like don't fucking quit your job and go and do food right now. Like cling to it. Um, because you know it's uh, it's an interesting time to be doing, and it's it's not for the faint-hearted. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's all fun and games, and you know I think in the past I've used humour a lot to displace the fact that like doing this job, like as much as I love it, you know, it has put the knife in deep several times. It's put me on my knees. You know, I've been through this past year my own, you know, my own struggles and my own kind of demons, and like I wouldn't wish that on any human being, let alone one who's got a family to provide for. However, whenever anyone says that, oh, you know, I wish I did this, I wish I did that, it always comes to mind like, um, quite a big Bukowski fan. Um, occasionally quotes come up in the menu. Famously, we once didn't quote him and put on a menu, I am my own God, which is a Bukowski quote, but I didn't quote it, so it looked like I'd uh, declared my own, <laughs> my own uh, <laughs> divine status, which is a bit of a misstep. But um, you know, there's a great, I'm going to paraphrase here because I can't remember the exact wording. But his basic point is like, you know, isn't it funny how, 
you know, people get angry and furious about such trivial things like, you know, skipping a place in a queue or, you know, the bus is late or they go to the supermarket and like the thing they wanted is not in stock. But on a major thing, like wasting their whole fucking life doing something they don't enjoy, they're willing to just let that slide. And I kind of just think, for me personally, I consider myself very fortunate. The support of family, friends, you know, circumstance, people I met. Every little choice I made was lucky enough to bring me to a position to do what I do. Do you know what I mean? And like, what a fucking blessing, you know. I mean, I'll be fair, my worst tattoo says blessed on my chest. And I got it when I was going through a particularly soppy phase. <laughs> so I'm well aware that this basically means I'm a cunt. But I do consider myself to be lucky to do that. But... Uh, I also think there's some real truth in that quote that on a daily basis we allow ourselves to be angered and so upset by trivialities we allow them to divide us you know we allow this circus to to you know to pit us against each other and we fall out and we fucking argue over such dumb shit like particularly with social media like it's all over the place but you know we are all going to die we all have a finite amount of time on this earth and like whenever I say that like it's not the first time my staff roll their eyes but I'm not saying it to be dark and that's where people I think sometimes particularly in the press go and go oh quirky old like goth Alex like <laughs> I'm not being dark I'm saying what a gift you know right now we are by luck more than judgment we are all alive we have an X amount of time to enjoy it and I just think you've got to ask yourself if you're not happy the only person stopping you from being happier is you do you know what I mean? Like you have the choice to go, no, fuck this. I'm not going to spend my whole life doing something that, you know, that I regret because I'm telling you now, there are worse things than being stressed. There are worse things than working hard. There are worse things than going through like, you know, a little bit of, you know, financial hardship because you know, your business idea hasn't worked. There are worse things than failure, but there's nothing worse than too late. Have you had, a, I just wanted to say this quote because you'll probably like it. Have you had this quote? Um, you only get two lives. The second one begins when you realise you've only got one. I haven't heard it, but it rings what true. A, what a quote like that. I just that's what made me think of what you were saying then. No, it rings true and like, you know, I'm not a fucking life coach. If anything, I'm the cautionary tale. Like, you know, I, I genuinely mean that. Like, you know, I've been asked to do um, a TV show next year, which, you know, all being well, we'll be filming in Jan. And that's providing mentorship to young people. And like honestly, I'm like, fuck me. How hard is it to book people for TV that I've been asked to mentor young people? Um, but I am passionate about like, I'm passionate about human potential and that sounds proper soft, but like working with the boys of having me in the kitchen, past and present, working with people in hospitality and working with some of the amazing organizations we've part partnered with, so like Cypher Fireside, the work they do trying to kind of make yeah. a difference. You know, I'm constantly amazed by people's potential to do awesome stuff and people's potential to do really fucking shitty stuff. And I just think, like, if someone's sitting there kind of going, oh, this life ain't what I thought it would be, like, there's nothing worse than too late. Change that. And it doesn't have to be radical change. Like, you don't need to walk downstairs right now, you know, tell your partner, like, I'm quitting my job, we're selling a house, <laughs> living in a tent, and I'm going to become a fucking sushi chef. Like, you don't got to do that. You can tread more gently, but... I'm a big believer that, you know, we all have a duty to kind of live our life to the fullest, you know, and that's yeah. however you want that to be. Do you know what I mean? There's nothing wrong with just going, my life's not defined by work. You know, these are the things that make me really happy. These are the things I truly value. So I'm going to prioritize that. Um, unfortunately, I'm cut from a cloth where like, my job is, is who I am. You know, even the days where I fucking hate my job. And there are plenty where I've been like, I would sell this business for a Twix. <laughs> you know, like, even those days... 
I can't because what makes me fundamentally happy is doing what I do is creating stuff and seeing people enjoy it and go that's a nice thing you know that's that's the connection that I seek but if you're not getting nothing out of life like you're wasting like such an incredible gift mm. and that's about as soppy as I'll ever get but like it's true oh, well, you wait till your kid comes along mate it all changes again then uh, well moving to Mexico and changing my name is going to be a pretty major <laughs> change you're right yeah <laughs> So how did you get from working in kitchens, trying to build your knowledge, go from all that to starting the wilderness? I thought, fuck it, why not? There's never a good time. Um, I knew what I wanted to achieve. At the time I was working with um, a chef who I'd met at the other business and we kind of had some similar ideas, a guy called Brian. Um, and we had some similar ideas on like what we thought restaurants could be. And we were fucking naive. Do you know what I mean? Like we were proper naive and... Uh, I think at the time <laughs> we had some pretty uh, ambitious ideas around like all sorts. But I just thought, well, I'm working 90 hours a week. I was covering Manchester and Birmingham. So I was traveling between the two. You know, I could be called up to go to Manchester at three o'clock on a Saturday. I have to go up there and then come back at midnight to deal with thing in Birmingham. Like I was getting, you know, whipped anyway for hours. So I thought, okay, I want to start asking some of the questions and the curiosities that, that, that are particular to me with food. So let's give it a go. We did it. We started doing pop-ups at the Kitchen Garden Cafe in King's Heath and Yeah, nice place. They uh wacky place. Yeah. Like doing yeah, doing it's like strange, part-time garden instead of part-time cafe and doing a pop-up in the evening. But they're very kind, very supportive. You know, I'll always show gratitude and thanks for that opportunity. And you know, people kind of came. Like it wasn't manic, like anyone was like, and then it's the pop-up and like, you know, a thousand people arrived, you know, it wasn't like that, <laughs> but like you know, it, it was ticking over. It was doing all right. So we kind of just, every time it did all right, we kind of went, okay, let's do a bit more then. Let's do a bit more then. And then it got to a point where the logical conclusion was, okay, let's open a restaurant. Um, you know, <laughs> oh, how naive we were. <laughs> but, you know, that's kind of how it happened. It was a really organic kind of DIY. Like it was a couple of mates with, you know, a couple of mates just bashing some pots and pans. Like we turned up for the first day. We were like a bloody hob in a suitcase, our pans in another suitcase. And I remember just being like, ain't got a fucking clue what we're doing literally like just deer in the headlights but you learn you learn fast and what's been really nice we still have guests who come to us now who came to those very first events and like i'm not convinced that i'll be coming to this restaurant if i come to those first (laughs) events but i think what they embraced is we always tried to frame it as quite openly this is this is a journey right this is a story and we'd love you to be part of the first chapter but you know the first chapter you know we set the scene what was the food like on that first pop-ups what were you cooking um, well you know my mate Rennie had come kind of out for then so initially I, I knew I wanted to kind of express the place I was from because I'd reached a point of peace where I was like I quite like Birmingham actually I, I want to do justice to it I want to share a little bit of where I grew up and what I think that represents but you know I, I spent too much time looking at Nordic cookbooks so at that time it was very very nature led um, you know we were using like most of our produce was coming from a mate's allotment in King's Heath um, everything was very kind of derivative but i think that's normal you know i think finding your own style takes time definitely nowhere near what we do now um it was very much just you know the seed of an idea about how do you best capture birmingham as a place and at the time we were very literally like okay so let's just try and get lots of really local produce and put loads of leaves on a plate um is it all vegetarian food no no no, no, including memorably, like where we fucked it and put onion seeds on a dessert. Like we had onion flowers and like absolutely balls it up and put the onion flowers all over dessert, which to this day is probably one of the worst plates of food I've ever put up. Um, 
But, you know, it, it was derivative. The seed of the concept was there, but we didn't really know how to articulate that. That took time. That was still to come. You kind of touched on it, and I've heard you say in the past that you wanted your food to represent Birmingham. Do you think you'd do that now with the wilderness? Or? I think so. I mean, you know, to be honest, the catalyst was when Daniel Hume from uh, 11 Madison Park and uh, the North Madison Hotel sued me five days after I'd opened the restaurant, which at the time was called Nomad, um, talk about kicking a boy when he's down. Surely he should have understood coming no, from the, 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 the thing is, like, he wanted to know. It's a possibility if you walked into yeah. the 18 cover restaurant next to a sex shop that someone would think they were in New York in a hotel if they were clinically mad. So, you know, obviously that was a big risk for them. Um, no, I mean, for legal reasons, I completely support the decision and I was delighted to sign the agreement, um, agreeing to change the name. But bizarrely, he did us a fucking favour. Because when he did that, I was so fucking pissed off that I just went a bit off the rails and I went, fuck it, I'm going to do whatever I want because this is almost taking the business out already. You know, having to do a full yeah. rebrand when you've finished open, like, it's savage. And suddenly we'd got to meet, like, nationals. I'd got to speak to Jay Rayner on the phone about it. Like, what a fucking sexy phone voice he has. Like, <laughs> honest to God, like, weak at the knees, that one. I was in a little coffee shop and, like, he called me. He's like, hi, there, it's Jay Rayner. I was like, my God, <laughs> your voice is like a custard incarnate. Like, it's I'm going weak at the knees. It's, really it's great. Um, so it kind of puts a bit on the radar of, like, this David versus the Goliath vibe, which, you know, I'm sure to those guys it was just formality. I don't even think they were probably involved. It was just their solicitors doing their job, you know. Yeah. But I was so pissed off that that's when we suddenly went, fuck it, we're going to go wacky. And that's when I started to go, well, do you know what? Like, I didn't really run through meadows picking flowers when I was growing up in Birmingham. That doesn't really reflect my experience. Um, McDonald's reflects more accurately like being a kid in Birmingham for me. Like, you know, like, yeah, you know what I mean? Like, growing up as, as, you know, as three Brummie lads, like, you're not going, you know, mother doesn't walk over with a like, fucking beautiful consomme <laughs> of like winter cabbage and then serve a little bit of flour oil on top of it and kind of right. go, and this is Sarah Mill on a plate. <laughs> Like, do you know what I mean? Like, it kind of just felt that wasn't really the ticket. So we started experimenting with a storytelling format and we started doing these dishes like Oh Bollocks that was based on um, dropping a 99 flake in Cannon Hill Park and the ants got to the tart first, which was some fucking bastard ants nicking um, a cheese and onion pasty in um, Solihull Park when I was on a picnic. And I started to make the dishes a bit more personal and I started to make them a little bit more playful, a little bit more kind of middle finger to it all. And um, thank fuck, it kind of just it worked for us you know the guardian came did a review which kind of accepted that even though it was very theatrical there was some serious cooking at hand which was our initial challenge because people thought oh it's all gimmick and like i totally get why because we're finding our feet right i'm sure some of it was just like yeah. <coughs> gimmick but for marina to initially come and kind of go no 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 the food is actually there's some serious cooking here there's, there's good flavor there's good ingredients it's just theatrical you know i think her headline yeah was like, this is dinner as theatrical performance. And I was like, fucking hell yes, at least one person gets this. Yes. And then Michelin kind of came in and, you know, when they first called us, like, I thought it was a prank. So like, they'd come in to, to eat for lunch and uh, they gave us a phone call. Did you know they were here? Or? Yeah, they, they, he, uh, he identified at the end oh, and said, look, we'll give you a call. But then I had this phone call from like this gentleman and I thought it was my mates playing me up. So I spent the first 10 minutes trying to organize a messy lads holiday to Japan with them. <laughs> and then I was like, going, it's the Michelin guy and I was like, Got you. Actually is. Okay, sounds. <laughs> and they were very supportive, you know, very curious, I think, because obviously, like, this was a restaurant that kind of come out of nowhere, really, as far as they were concerned. You know, I wasn't on their radar. I hadn't worked anywhere prestigious or anything like that. It was just a kid from Birmingham, like, trying his hand at doing something a bit different. And it kind of spiralled from there. And, you know, I think the longer we've, we've done this game, the more I've 
refined that concept. You know, it's it's inherently important to me that our menu reflects the multiculturalism of the city, because um, uh, in a very subtle way, that is the most political statement that we can make as a restaurant. Yeah. You know, any forces that wish to see this city as this or that, any forces that wish to divide this city and kind of marginalise the minorities that have defined it, you know, my menu is in the nicest possible way a massive fuck off. Like, you know, this but city... Your, your current menu now, you mean? Yeah, yeah. you know, like yeah. the reason why we're not afraid to kind of bring Indian influence in, the reason we're bringing in kind of Chinese and Japanese influences, I am so proud of Birmingham yeah. as probably one of the most cosmopolitan cities in the UK. And we should be making a song and a dance about this. And when people like Fox News want to try and yeah. define this city as one which is based on division, I just think you can fuck off. It's always weird because I always think, what, what city are they talking about? They're not talking about my city. Like. They're not. You know, people who are from Birmingham should really keep their fucking mouth shut. Yeah, definitely. If, if they've not been to our city, you know, it affronts me as someone from yeah. Birmingham that they try and define the city in, in these reductive terms. And, you know, in a climate where as I said to you before we went on air, I don't want to get political because I don't think it's my place to. But I tell you now, you know, there are forces that wish to kind of divide. There are yeah. serious xenophobic forces and there are certain persons with significant power who are doing fuck all to fight that. And I think we've continued to refine and push that and kind of go, we are going to be an eclectic menu. It's going to be a cuisine that is very magpie in the sense of we will borrow from all the cultures that come together in one place to make this the city it is and i don't give a fuck if that means that my menu is eclectic you know like i yeah. I, I, I worry sometimes that you know, like michelin for example obviously you know a bit of a wound not to get the start i worry that potentially part of that is that they don't how to categorize a restaurant that yeah. that's so eclectic in its influence you know would we have been better served doing just one particular style of cuisine perhaps yeah you're right there but from the perspective of capturing the place that i am from and capturing and doing justice to Birmingham and, and kind of trying to, you know, to show and share with people, this is what the city looks like on a plate. We'd be doing more of a disservice if we changed our culinary style. Yeah. It made perfect sense to me sitting there, look, like when the menu came, there was uh, satay, cod satay. There was uh, a Thai green curry on there. There's, yeah, you know, like, you know, these, loads on there. You know, we'll always try and find a way to kind of... Monkfish aloo. Yeah, you know, we'll always try and find a way to tie the menu together like these are not explicit dishes that claim to be authentic however i think it's you know it's so important for birmingham to have a restaurant that you know when people kind of ask increasingly you know what kind of style of food is it's, it's birmingham do you know what i mean i don't feel a need to put a label on it further than that i personally think that modern british food needs total re-evaluation and without the influence of anglo-indian cuisine or you know anglo-chinese or any other number of kind of anglo Plus the cuisine, I don't know how to shorten into <laughs> into that kind of epithet. Like, <laughs> without the influence of fusion, I don't think you can actually talk about British food because the days of British food being, you know, what perhaps would be traditionally held as British food, that doesn't reflect the people who define this country. That doesn't reflect, you know, the you know the variety of people who you know contribute. And uh, I'm very proud that we will always have a menu that takes inspiration from all the different parts of the city. Um, you know, and tries to represent, you know, in a fun, playful, and inclusive way. You know, this is this is the makeup of the city, and if you don't like it, I really don't give a fuck. Yeah. You know, it's not for everybody, but I think that's the the single kind of biggest, you know, 
in terms of the conceptual side of it, that's all I want to do. I want to show you what I've experienced in Birmingham and show you it in the celebration that I think it deserves. Um, I don't think it's rocket science, and I actually think we've kind of hit a cuisine now where, in our own way, you know, just as new Nordic cuisine defined itself through the use of esoteric herbs, ingredients, and native, etc., etc., I think we are doing exactly the same thing, just in a, you know, a slightly more unusual way, in the sense of, you know, it's the, the social and the kind of cultural influence that, for me, defines this city. Um, but it's the same mindset. With your dishes that you've got, obviously they're from all over the place, as we're just saying, what sort of process do you go through to get each dish? Does it take weeks, months? What sort of I mean, it, it varies, you know, in, in the spirit of giving gratitude, you know, like a very great deal of the menu at the moment has mostly come from, from Stu, who's been my head chef for the last year. You know, I've, I've had my head up my ass um, trying to deal with, you know, a second venture that unfortunately didn't go particularly well for me. And a lot of it is, is fundamentally, it's, it's, it's been his process. Um, obviously, you know, we work together for long enough that he knows the philosophy of the restaurant, he knows the style and you know, he consults. But um, sometimes he'll just turn up and go, I've got an idea I want to show you, chef. And it'll be pretty much like on the nose. Yeah, and you're it's, happy to roll with it. And- yeah, well, you know, like you know, if talent comes to you and says, I've got this great idea for your restaurant, like you say thank you and you go, yeah, cool, like crack on. You don't kind of go, I'm going to obstruct you just for my own sense of ego you know some of the dishes are kind of constant evolutions of ideas we've had for a long period of time like you know the monkfish dish you allude to like you know i did a i did the very start of a dish that was um a playful curry about two and a half years ago i did it for new year's eve and it was called not another fucking balti yeah i've had that um and the monkfish is kind of we wanted to keep a dish that was that kind of concept and, and you know both you and i think monkfish is an incredible vehicle for kind of spicy food because it's so meaty um, you know, it's kind of, I don't want to say it's chicken of the sea, but it, you know, mm, it's got that no, kind of, mean. that meatiness too, that perhaps other fish don't have. Um, so that kind of came from Stuart going, I want to move away from the original dish and we're going to take that inspiration. But I don't think there's any hard or fast rules for creativity. Um, you know, every chef's different. Even for me, like when I create dishes, you know, for the next big menu change we have coming when, when we move the restaurant, there are some dishes where, I know exactly how they look, I know how they eat, I know how we're going to do it. And there are some dishes where there are a collection of ideas or elements or ingredients. And I have every faith they're going to be little motherfuckers to get right. Yeah. Um, but that's, you know, I think that's the same with any creative process. You know, you, you hear bands and they'll go like, they go into a studio first take, they, 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 they drop out like an iconic track. And then there's other bands where they've got songs they've been working on for six years and they're still not happy. Is there a dish that you've wanted to do? that you just haven't ever been able to get right and thought, I can't do this, but you always sort of got it in the back of your mind, why can't I get this fucking dish done? Not massively. I think at the moment, like, one of our biggest challenges is the Big Mac dish because we had that on for a quite a long period of time. Um, we took it off because we felt it had too long on the menu and we tried to find something we thought better sat as the kind of first course on our menu, you know, as a kind of a, a fuck you to whatever ideas of what luxury should represent you know i wanted to go right back to the beginning to kind of happy meals when i was six to try and stop me being a whingy little cunt um <laughs> and uh, we want to evolve that again but that's more where we get bummed out we'll get to a point where the dish where we'll be like we don't really know how to we want to change it. we want to keep it moving yeah but you go i don't know how to make it any better and there's a really hard judgment call because the wisdom of the, the longer you've been cooking sometimes the the wisdom is knowing when to stop, yeah. when to take things away, when to simplify, when to not try and force it. And sometimes when to drive yourself crazy in the pursuit of that change. And um, I'm fairly confident that I'll retain the Big Mac 
dish for our next menu change but how i'm going to kind of evolve that it keeps me up at night yeah so you've got these great chefs that help you with the dishes you must have one hell of a recruitment process because obviously you've got Stuart who's in MasterChef at the moment and you've got Lou that went all the way to the final mm. MasterChef so you must be doing something right on the recruitment how do you find um, the chefs do you know what I think the kind of the constant response that perhaps has led to you know I mean out of three years two of those years we've had you know we, we've, we've had someone from this restaurant you know end up on the MasterChef process which if, of itself is you know is an achievement for them and you know, the hard work is all their own. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm not the one in the studio, like, busting my balls and trying not to nut Greg Wallace. So, like, fair play. Um, but I think it's the creativity. I think this has been a business that embraces creativity. You know, even if a chef is a chef to party, if they come to me with an idea, I will never go, you're a chef to party, you can't do that. You know, from the ground upwards, if someone's got an idea, we'll always listen. And I think we'll always encourage them to experiment. We'll always give them the freedom to do so. We're quite happy for them to order ingredients and experiment on their own terms. You know, I don't ever want to be someone who kind of shoots down creativity. And I think that's what kind of I like. And that's what's perhaps helped some of the chefs, some you know, some of the alumni we've got in the restaurant that, you know, we'll give you the platform to experiment, to develop. We'll let you try things we won't go no we'll go why not you know um some of it's good luck and i think some of it's just you know we've always represented something a bit different in the city so for chefs looking for something that's still kind of you know in the fine dining circuit but a little bit different a little bit more kooky i hate that word but i ain't got an alternative right now um i think that's that's worked for us um I think maybe because of the u- uniqueness of the place that it attracts a certain kind of chef that's what i see looking in like yeah, I, th- I mean, <laughs> most of us are tattooed and, and hairy, so um, that apparently is the, the main hook. Uh, less so Louisa, it has to be said. Her beard was rubbish. Um, but yeah, like, you know, I, I don't think it's a rocket science. Like, recruitment's hard for us just as anybody else. There aren't enough good chefs out there. I was about to um, say, on the flip side of that, you've been recruit advertising for chefs for a long time. Is there they're, a reason they're, they're, why there's such they're a just sh- not like, You're out not the there. only ones. Everyone no, seems they're, to they're, be. They're, they're just not out there and... I totally get it because it's you know, it's a big ask. You know, we try and look after our team as well as we can, but there's no way to split it. This is a hard job. You know, the hours are unforgiving. You know, if you've got a relationship, you probably want to break up with them. Yeah. You know, if you've got hobbies, put them on ice. You know, there's a lot of sacrifice involved in being a professional chef at the level we operate at, doing the kind of food that we do. Um, and it's also, you know, it's, it's, it's the catch up really. I think for decades, this country has not put enough value on hospitality as a career choice. Like I said, yeah. it was never presented to me as things to even look at when I was at school. You know, and that not, that's not just because my school was, um, was posh and you know, every all the school, rest of like, it. I like, think there's always been a stigma that chefs are a bit maybe on, on the edge of society. Yeah, I mean, like, down and out. You I'm can't do yeah, I'm not sure I'm the best person to refute that actually. <laughs> but, um, yeah, you know, it's just the stigma of that. And, you know, whatever else you want to say about um, Brexit, when kitchens are inherently international places with a lot of chefs joining us from Europe, if you want to make it harder to recruit chefs, yeah. tell all European chefs they've got to sign up <laughs> and basically wear a fucking badge on their head saying that they're from the EU. Like, or making them feel very unwelcome anyway. Yeah, you know, like if you create a climate where kind of europe is a dirty word a lot of the chefs who are currently you know supporting particularly the mid-level of kitchens will understandably go all right thanks so much i'm going to go back to europe fuck off and then suddenly that's where the gaps start to show 
Um, I think they're definitely showing. You just have to go on Instagram or Facebook and see how many people's advertising for yeah, chefs. Well, you know, like chef departs are like unicorns. <laughs> Honestly, like yeah. apparently they're out there, but like actually seeing one of the flesh is is rare. Um, but you know, I think that that for us that only inspires us to ask the questions as to how can we keep modernising this as a career to work in. How can we try and do better by those chefs? How can we try and make sure that we provide them more more balance? And these aren't easy questions. I don't have the answer to it. If I did, like, yeah. oh, no, this just would be a different podcast, you know. But, like, you know, it is good in the sense of, you know, when I first went into the kitchen, it's like, they were fucking horrid. Like, you know, some really, really unpleasant working conditions, some really kind of shit days. And I think that that's changed. I don't think, I don't think that's the case. You can't be naive to, you know, looking after your team. Um, it's just how to still pursue what we want to do creatively and pursue what what i want the food here to represent and at kind of what cost you know um there isn't an easy fix but i think we're all on the same boat we're all trying to navigate how we can do things differently and kind of modernize and i I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing it's just on a practical basis it's fucking hard yeah of course it is yeah we kind of we kind of said it then and I just want to talk about that now. I don't know how much you can say, but obviously this is the second venue for the wilderness and you're yeah. moving. Did you want to talk a little about that? Maybe. Yeah, I do, 100%. So have you announced it yet or is this... No, I mean, I think it's a pretty shit-kept secret. Yeah. Um, I mean, <laughs> tr- truth, truth be told, like, you know, we've been, we've been exploring what we want to do next to the wilderness the whole year. You know, we've had talks with, you know, with a couple of different venues and uh, in all honesty, it all kind of got delayed and, and sort of interfered with, with um, the pressures of... The, the previously alluded to second venue you know it's it's not easy to then expand your other business when you're trying to fight fires on the other side so it's, it's kind of all you know all been pushed back a little bit but um, I think we're pretty much there we've got we've got the designs done we've got some some really cool guys joining the team to kind of fortify what we do both front um, and back is that Faber is it using Faber again is it? we're using the same designer yeah. um, she's no longer with Faber oh, uh, right. she's a designer mate of mine called Ashling um, oh, nice. who I've worked with now for what two and a half years and I like to work with people I know because, you know, we're on the same page. We've, yeah, we've, we've got to that point of comfort where I don't have to filter how I work. You know, I like to work with that kind of level of engagement and honesty and, and stuff. So, How pink is it? Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> you pervert. Um, it, it's, it's not. Unsurprisingly, it's, um, I don't know. I, th- I think you can tell it's come from the same general style as what we do here, but as I said, you know, we always try and reinvent a little bit. Um, we always want to show people something a little bit different, um, a new version of us. And um, I think there's a maturity to the new venue that that still keeps the heart and still keeps kind of the feel of what we do now. But, um, but elevates it, you know, it's yeah. um, it's a really exciting venue. It's obviously, it's more central. Um, I'm taking back on the unit where I had Nocturnal Animals. So I, I know ben- that part ben- of town Hill, well, Bennett's yeah. Hill. Um, restaurant's not going to be that much bigger, so it's 36 covers, but obviously it gives us a bit more space for guests as well as us to work in. Kitchen's bigger. We've still got the bar upstairs, which will be both open to you know people who just come have a drink or some yeah. snacks. And we'll also be you know a facility before or after your meal. You can kind of... I want to be able to provide you that hospitality for the entire night. Yeah. Or just for a little bit of time for you to drop in, you know. So um, I'm excited to... to to kind of to do it really over over the next couple of weeks. I mean, this will be released probably before them, I guess. But yeah, over yeah, the sure. I don't know. Don't 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 <laughs> don't, don't, don't allude to the realities <laughs> of production. Um, you kind of said before we. I think it was before we started recording. I thought it was quite nice. You said 
that your original where was the original one I, I wanted to go to it but I never went to it, it so originally we, we, we were uh, part of Bomb on Dudley Street yeah the, the little cafe and you there, said that was like your infancy and then yeah jewelry court yeah so, which has been really good for us you know like you know I I never particularly intended to be in the jewelry quarter, but you know, I, I kind of I have a lot of love for this part of town. Um, I've got a few other bits and bobs of the pipeline that we'll still have some stuff going on the jewelry quarter, I think. And then, yeah, coming into town to kind of, you know, to, to hit maturity. And I think that's the word, you know, particularly a business that's been quite organic and has kind of evolved as we've gone. I'm really excited to kind of, to show the maturity side as well, to be honest, because my kind of my days on my appetite for having my cuisine overshadowed by um, controversy or, or kind of trouble, uh, you know, yeah. that's not to say that I'm suddenly going to turn into a saint because I don't think that's on the cards. But equally, you know, this new venue is about the food. You know, this new venue is about providing the best possible iteration of, you know, of the cuisine that I believe in, that, that we can to our guests. I think people will be surprised, but I think anyone who likes what we currently do will will, will still get it. We'll still, um, I very much hope, enjoy it. But I think we'll also open and introduce us to an audience who perhaps have been put off by the fact that, you know, it's a bit backstreet and it's, uh, you know, it looks this way or it looks that way. Or, or the chef said this on Twitter and all the rest of it. Like, it, it's a little bit more restrained, but with the little kind of, the little playful touches still throughout. So and I'm really excited for it. Big project. So uh, that's my Christmas pretty much ruined. But um <laughs> Yeah, just can't wait to get started, chef. really. Chefs don't have Christmas. <laughs> chefs don't believe in Christmas, yeah. Too true. Well, you do believe in Christmas, but I, I'm just barely, saying you I, don't I, get I, I barely Christmas. do. Like, if I could avoid the whole season, I would. Yeah. I, just, I, I think when you're a kid, Christmas is wicked, isn't it? But, yeah. like... Uh, yeah, I was going to say, when you I have... Don't, I don't kids. know about that. I'm going to tell my kid Christmas is in January. <laughs> <laughs> that way I'll get all the presents in the sale. No, no. <laughs> What do you particularly don't like about it? Like, I don't want to dwell on this. Like, I just don't get it. Like, I don't like Christmas music. I'm not a massive fan of Christmas food. Like, the stuff I enjoy at Christmas, like, it's not food that's really seasonally, yeah, you know, dictated. Like, I think, like for example, roasts. I think are overrated. So, Christmas dinner, I'm not like. I thought we were about. friends. <laughs> well, you know, I love roasts. <laughs> don't, don't, don't let our differences divide us. Yeah, I'm Irish um, and I like I was brought up on potatoes and meat. And uh, <laughs> I don't know. I think for me, it's just sort of like the the reckless and the wanton. I mean, fundamentally, like do whatever makes you happy. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. that's kind of my my general philosophy on most things. Like the commercial side of it, maybe. Yeah, like you know, I, I don't want to say it because it's just it's personal to me. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, okay. I, I, yeah, I'm yeah, that awkward yeah. bastard where if there's something I want. Uh, I'll either get it for myself or it's not something which you can buy. Like, you know. I hate them people. I know. Like, I, 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 like that. I, I, an arsehole to buy for, but like, you know, like I'd, I'd rather, if I want to go for dinner somewhere nice, I'll, you know, I'll go okay. for dinner. Yeah, yeah. Or if, you know, if I feel like I really want a new chef's knife, I'll, I'll get the chef's knife when I need it. Do you know what I mean? I won't, yeah. I won't sort of like sanctify a special day of the year where I do that. Um, I like buying gifts for people. Like I love... I love making other people happy with it and that's great. But if you knock out the fact that you don't really have that much free time as a chef over Christmas, so you don't get to go to your family events, yeah. so you just piss your family off more that year. You know, you, when you're trying to get through town, you've got to literally wade through like uh, this kind of total panic euphoria kind of capitalism yeah, where yeah. it's sort of like you can literally sell like a glittery turd at Christmas. And people are like, oh, fucking hell, like, you know, if I don't buy this, I don't believe yeah. in Christmas and uh, the family will hate me and the house will catch fire. 
you know, I, I don't really do it. I've got two cats, so if I have a Christmas tree, what I really have is like just more carnage because yeah. it gets brought down on the daily. I don't know, like, I, I would love to fall back in love with Christmas, but I think too many years in hospitality have kind of have meant that I can't engage in all the good stuff. So all I yeah. really see is it's kind of like the the same the same shit different month really and it's just a worse soundtrack isn't it like god knows how many albums mariah carey can keep bringing out every year <laughs> but like surely like if there was ever like flogging a dead horse yeah like yeah. the christmas album like that's a format that can just fucking get right in the sea i don't understand it no, I mean, don't it. don't quote me on this if next christmas is like and now the wilderness <laughs> present their christmas album it's just me with like a bottle of whiskey and a microphone like singing very sad lonely versions of Christmas songs. So you haven't got the Michael Bublé Christmas album to Do you know what, like, Michael Bublé, what, what a man. But if, if I never have to listen to his music again, I shan't be uh, too devastated. Yeah, not, so not my vibe, do you know what I mean? Back to your new restaurant. Um, yeah, but back, back, back to something which isn't uh, going to make me sound like an absolute arsehole. Is the food going to be quite similar to as it is here? Are you going to change much or...? Um, Again, like the, the philosophy is not going to change. I'm, I'm very happy with where we're at, with what drives us. But um, the format of the menu will change. Um, we're trying to find a way to preserve the fixed menu format because I think it suits quite well that kind of storytelling element because it means you can do a narrative over a tasting menu. You have control over the journey you're taking people on through that food. Well aware that sounds pretentious. Sue me. Um, uh, but we're trying to find ways to kind of make make more choices for the guests and the experience to make it more personal to them, to give it a bit more freedom, to make it more social, you know, to focus a little bit less on... Is that something you want to do or something you thought you've had to do? No, I want to do it. Yeah, like, that's the best thing about food, man. Like, you know, yeah. every night from the past, I get to see, like, people, you know, have really important time with people they care about. I get mm. to see first dates where people start to fall in love. I get to see, you know, people celebrating really poignant life moments and like that makes me sound like a creepy voyeur just sat be <laughs> sat behind the past having a having a tug do you know what i mean like that, that was why is the chef so happy and where's his hands um <laughs> that was almost beautiful as well no but one. it is like you know that, that's the privilege that i don't think as chefs we talk about at least for me that's the kick you know yeah so we can make the food more social if we can still stay true to our philosophy but we can give more power back to the kind of guest as to what kind of night they want like i'm cool for that um and i think in some ways it you know, the menu format is going to be more, you know, more clear about what we do and why we do it. Do you know what I mean? Like, again, picking up on what I said earlier, I think, which is fair enough, because we've always been quite understated in why the menu is structured the way it is, why we have such an eclectic influence. Yeah. I totally understand that potentially if a guest doesn't know anything about us, they could walk in and just think, this chef's just fucking schizophrenic. You know, he's just like, taking cuisine all over the place it's like jimmy spice but just a bit more expensive like i totally understand that <laughs> so i think you know the, the new menu structure will kind of make it a little bit more explicit this is what we do this is why we do it and you know i'm not presumptuous enough like i'll never assume that someone coming into this restaurant knows anything about us or anything about me as a chef do you know what i mean like i think for me that's an arrogance too far I don't want to walk over and assume they know who the fuck I am. They'll just be like, why is this heavily bearded pervert at the table? And why is he breathing so heavily and so agitated by this anniversary? Like, I don't presume that. So I think the menu is going to make it a little bit more explicit. This is who we are. This is what we do. So if you're walking cold, the menu kind of says everything that I want it to, you know? Yeah. Um, and there's more collaboration as well. You know, there's some really great collaboration with artists and, and kind of brands and, and kind of creatives to, to kind of make the menu more of a product of kind of collective talent. Yeah. Um, than ever before 
And um, as I say, it's, it's a bit of a kind of return to the driving seat for me as well. You know, I've had a very busy year on the business side and, you know, personal life as well, you know, and I've had a lot to deal with and I've dealt with it to various degrees of success. So I'm excited to kind of get, you know, get my hands back on the wheel a little bit. Yeah. Hugely grateful for the team who've kind of who've looked after it so very well. But um, it's definitely the most personal menu that I've done. And um, that's both really cool and then also like a little bit shitty. Because yeah. yeah, yeah, like, you know, the more personal it is, like people always say that, people criticise your food. Oh, it's, don't take it personal, it's only food. And you're like, well, that's all fucking well and good. But if you've built a menu around <laughs> your life today and all the things that matter to you, of course it's personal. It's intrinsically personal. But that kind of excites me. So I've, like, I've heard you saying about, and obviously Nocturnal Animals, anyone who went there, there was obviously massive neon writing above the pass saying it's only fucking food. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the side got, like got a lot a less funny when you're turning it off because you fucked the business. Um, yeah, but is that, is, was that a joke, that philosophy that you've... No, nah, man, is it, it's not like, you know, it's, it's just it, both guests... Or was it like, the, I'm no, just wondering if there was an if it was ironic because no, it obviously it, means it, so it, much it, to you, but you're saying it, it's only fucking food. It's it's a double thing. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. For me, food's everything. I'm obsessed. Yeah. So I've, I've always thought that was very obvious. Eating here and nocturnal animals. But then you kept saying, oh, it's only food. It's only fucking well, food. And I thought... I think for me, it's, you know, I want the wilderness to to be part of this city and to take its place at the table. Do you know what I mean? And what yeah. we bring to the city is food. However... And both chef side where, you know, in the pursuit of perfection, sometimes we make really fucking stupid choices. You know, like my personal life has been a car crash this year. You know, I have hurt people I love and I've irrevocably changed my life for the worse at times because I've been so blinded by my pursuit for this career. You know, and that's not to suddenly make this all dark, but this is the stuff that chefs don't tend to say in interviews. Like, you know, I have let down a lot of people who I care about in my personal life because I'm so blinkered in my obsession with this career. And, you know, I don't want chefs to always do that, the same thing. Mm. I don't want them to hurt people that they love or to neglect the things that really matter because they lose sight of the fact that we're not saving anybody in that kitchen. It's only fucking food. Yeah. And then when you've got guests who, you know, uh, and we're very fortunate, this isn't really an issue that we have on the regular, but when people get absolutely fucking irate over the fact that they'll be like, oh, he didn't have this wine that I wanted, you know, I wanted a French, you know, I wanted a French red and you've only got yeah. fucking chili and like chill your fucking tits like we are all very lucky if you're in my restaurant eating with us then you know yeah. for the most part that means that you have a certain level of comfort and wealth that you mm. can afford to spend your time and money with us and I'm so grateful for that support and money I'm not in any way like biting the hand that feeds but all of us would be well served to remember that going out to nice restaurants and cooking in nice restaurants what is going on right now in the country is a lot bigger than that. Yeah. You know, it is a lot more profound than that and we shouldn't take it too seriously, you know, and I think that, I like to think that's evident in the way I talk about what we do and the actions we take. You know, we realise that it might mean everything to us, but in the grand scheme of things, it's only fucking it's food. Really, yeah. You know. Um, is, would that be your biggest kind of regret about Nocturnal would be the, the staff and stuff um it's a very tough one for me it's still a little bit raw i think but um look you know nocturna was a very complicated situation and project um you know we tried to open too fast 
and I don't think we ever really hit the opening that I wanted for it. We yeah. needed longer of the concepts, I think, to really know who we were. Because don't forget the wilderness, you know, it's been a very organic, slow burn process, and I've been very fortunate to have that time. Nocturnal, yeah. we didn't have that. You know, in the end, I had three months to go from zero to, to 100, and, and in all honesty, I, I couldn't do it. Yeah. And I couldn't get the right team. Had great people with me, but I didn't, you know, if you try to film an orchestra and all you find are trumpeters, it's going to be a pretty fucking weird orchestra. Yeah. Um, we didn't have the right team in the right areas. And I think definitely, you know, there the were differences of opinion, uh, you know, the top level between me and some of my business partners. And, you know, I'm, I'm never going to speak ill of anybody. Like, uh, I can only look at myself and kind of go, look, you know, I, I needed to... I needed to tell a little bit more about myself than I think I did when I went on that project. I hated having to leave a venue the way I did where I kind of just said, look, enough's enough. This isn't really my vibe. This isn't what I want to yeah. do. Um, and uh, walking away from a business is always really challenging. You know, we, we looked after the staff, you know, as well as we possibly could during a really turbulent time for that business. Yeah. But th there's the limit to how fun that environment can be for your, your team. And it's a really weird one because there's this, this you know, the sadness and the kind of the good side is it, it taught me so much about what we had done right with the wilderness and, and what we needed to do with the wilderness and what mm -hmm. we needed to be and you know where we needed to really focus and make sure we, we got that right. So I, I don't know if I regret it in the sense of has it made me a better person the other side has it made me a better chef has it made me you know a better person to work with i, I think it has it goes back to what we said about win or learn isn't it so yeah, you've obviously you know, learned like, don't be wrong I'd, I'd love to have had a slightly less in intensive version of learning yeah and you know it's it, i've had some really really dark times this year um and that's been quite sobering for me do you know what i mean i've always been I've always been quite a strong person. Yeah. I've always been kind of heads up and like, uh, there's been a few times that this year has knocked me down and I've been like, I don't know if I can get back up. Um, you know, and I'm very lucky that with, you know, the right people around me and the right kind of love and encouragement and indeed the support of our guests on the wilderness side. Yeah. You know, I am back and, you know, I'm more than ready to step back in a ring and go at it. But, you know, I, I can't underplay the influence that that will always, I think, have on my career. You know, I, I can't underplay. There's not a day goes by where I don't think about it. Um, but I think I can't change it. Do you know what I mean? And you strike me kind of like, obviously, we don't know each other very well. We've just met today. Just a one-night stand thing. Yeah, you do strike me as a kind of all-or-nothing kind of dude. And I have the same kind of personality. So did you get to the point where it was nearly nothing? So now you're putting everything into this new restaurant. Well, not new restaurant, but the new um, I, movement of the wilderness and this restaurant. I, I just see it as, look, you know, I finished this year knowing what matters to me. And yeah. I finished this year knowing who I am. Warts and all. Some people don't get to that. Um, and I give thanks for the lessons that brought me to that point. You know, uh, I think anyone perhaps who's dealt with me pre this process, you know, any of the bullshit, any of the kind of, you know, the controversy or the big mouth stuff that I think I used to do is kind of a defense mechanism because, you know, as a cook, like you suddenly go from just cooking in the kitchen, no one talks to you. Then you've got a restaurant and everyone wants to talk to you. Yeah. <laughs> and actually like, no one's going to believe me when I say this, but a lot of the stupid stuff I did, like the smart-ass things I did on social media or being like an arsehole, that was, you know, that was my own defense mechanism because I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. 
and you know I'm older I've taken enough punches over the last year that I know exactly who I am and I know exactly what I can do and I know exactly what I can't and I think for me all you can do is, is stand up and with dignity go okay like you know we're going into this leaner and in some ways more aggressive and more focused than we ever have mm. you know I don't feel the need to kind of put on you know I'll be putting in case you know this podcast two years ago God knows the amount of like jokes you'd have had to wade through or the yeah. amount of kind of like fucking trying to throw off any real answers like say what you want I'll be honest do you know what I mean I'll shoot straight you know this is a serious restaurant this is a restaurant that I want to represent you know uh, a new way of looking at food in Birmingham and I want to gather chefs who understand my philosophy of deeply personal emotional cooking informed by the place we are from with a fierce commitment to that city across all levels both in the business and outside of it you know our support for other things in the city and one hell of a journey to get to it do you know what I mean I think I'm a lot sadder than I used to be but I'm very much single-minded in my focus to just deliver 110% you know maximum volume of of what I represent as a cook and and you know indeed collectively because the wilderness isn't me you know I'm yeah. not a rapper with some sort of weird alter ego that the wilderness is a collective of yeah. people pulling in one direction we know we're ready to deliver we know that with that venue we'll have the right outlet to do so and and you know I'm just excited to kind of unleash that to be honest no bullshit you know I don't feel the need to kind of chat out that much we'll do the absolute best of our ability to deliver something that will blow people's minds and some people will love it and some people will still think I'm a cunt <laughs> and that's the reality of everyday life you can't change it yeah you know we're all different but for those who uh, who want to be part of that journey like you know it's on do you know what I mean like, yeah, yeah, yeah that's the yeah. only that's the only reasonable thing I can do off the back of the year I've had to go okay you know, I will step back in that ring and you know, I promise you I'll give the fight of my life to deliver something, you know, really, really fucking brilliant. As I say, pressure, 110%, but I think pressure's good. Yeah. Yeah, it's great diamonds. Cheesy. Jeez. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Do you know what? I, I, I deliberately held off on that because I thought... I, I thought I know it's going to break this mood no, there. Yeah, like, you know, both of us were like, that's heavy, man. That's heavy. Let's not, let's not, let's not go for the easy one. Here we go. Christ. I want to move on now. It's kind of really move out and go on to... Um, Something I don't think you ever get enough credit for, and I, I think you'll probably squirm at this because I don't think you'll like taking much credit, but like you do so much work for um, charity, see for Fireside, obviously Simon from Meat and um, Two Veg put a call out, and I think you were, you were like eager to get involved with that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, ironically, timing-wise, we'll read out a quick tweet from someone who I think deserves the credit for um, their philosophy. So, because I tweeted today about food banks just saying... Because I've just seen the, like, the little teaser for there's a new dispatches thing um, coming up. Yeah, awful. And it's got yeah. like fucking kids there like talking about how they have to be careful with what they eat, you know? Mm. And, um, sorry. It, particularly as someone who's got a kid on the way, like that probably fucked me up. Because I just yeah. think that's fucking like not right. You know, we don't because then you get people like, there's a guy on Twitter called Kev. I'm not going to go further than that. Don't make him famous, Alex. No, Don't no, he, he kind of came straight and said... He doesn't deserve he, any When credit. I said, look, does anyone, is anyone involved in the food banks? Because we'll help. Do you know what I mean? We'll get involved with this. Uh, he just replied, virtue signaling alert. 
And I think that is unfortunately the climate that we kind of have on social media where if you're seen in any way to kind of like try and enter a dialogue, particularly as a cook, you do get kind of told, get back in fucking line. That's not your job to. And we keep, we keep you know, anything we do outside of the restaurant is quite separate. We don't do it because it's part of our press campaign. Do you know what I mean? We're not sitting there going, brilliant, that's a great marketing tool for us because that's fucking sick. If anyone thinks you've got a, a marketing or a press campaign. <laughs> no, we don't. Like, it's not about, it's, you know, what I'd say to Kev is like, you know, I totally respect anyone's opinion on Twitter. I didn't always used to, but I do. I don't know his story. I don't know what he's, mm. I don't know him. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. He's a random guy who occasionally pops up and tells me I'm a prick. Um, much like my mother, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, for me, I think it was just actually, when I did have Nocturnal open, obviously you're in the middle of town there. And the two things that really struck me was, was firstly the, the sheer volume of people who are kind of either homeless or, or on the streets or kind of vulnerable to homelessness. And after you spent the evening, you know, charging, you know, a Nocturnal, what, like 70, 75 quid a head, or 100 quid a head, if you're walking back to, you know, a nice apartment, you know, I was living in the jewelry quarter in like a really nice apartment behind the wilderness. Yeah. Um, and you have to walk past, you know, 10, 15, 20 people who are there like either begging for money for food or off their tits on drugs, which I don't condone, but I don't criticize either. Because if I was homeless, I would take all the fucking smack in the world. Same, yeah. You know, like I don't think, I don't think we could possibly presume to judge what people do to cope with their circumstance. Like, that feels a bit fucked up, man. You know, if you're charging that level of food and there's other people in the city who can't afford to eat at all, that feels wrong. Yeah. So that kind of bothered me. And I didn't really know what to do with it initially. I was just like, this feels a bit wrong. It feels a bit twisted. I think a lot of people feel like, oh, what can we do? Like, what can we do? Yeah, you but, but then the, the second part for me that, you know, and this is a really difficult one for me to talk about because we have some incredible guests in this restaurant and... I think we have some of the most compassionate and engaged and, you know, open people who eat with us. You know, I think like we attract that kind of crowd and I'm, you know, I'm not saying it because it's a nice sound by like, you know, I, I fucking love the guests we have. I really do. You know, they are the reason that we're still here and they're the reason that I want to just keep doing this better. But actually, when I was on Nocturnal, I saw particularly on the bar side, some of our guests, if someone came up to them and asked them to change, they treated them like they were fucking shit. Mm. You could see the affront. You could see the offence of it. And I just think, for me, those two factors, uh, I don't feel comfy with it. You know, like yeah. I said, like, I've been a chef for over 10 years. Like I'd be lying if I said to you that I'm proud of everything I've ever done. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Have I made mistakes? Yes. Have I been a fucking cunt? Absolutely. And I'm not doing it as part of the business, but I think that if you're truly going to engage with the place you are from, you are only as good as the way the city is dealing with the problems presented to it. Do you know what I mean? 100%. And uh, I'm a big believer in, you know, if you don't know about stuff, you've got to go and look and find out stuff. And, you know, the way I did that is I arranged to go and see Cypher, which are one of the biggest homeless charities in the city. So I went down to see them at their, their facility in Digbeth, where, you know, it's a drop-in centre for people who are homeless or at risk of homelessness. And, you know, I'm normally quite gobby. You know what I mean? I talk quite a lot. Yeah. I was silent for two hours, you know. I went there and the scale of it was just, it was something else, you know. And the work they're trying to achieve against the resource they have, it's insane, you know. And I'm not an expert on this. I'm not doing it because I'm trying to become like the next Jamie Oliver. I'm not a social crusader. I'm nothing. I'm just someone who's from Birmingham and recognizes the privilege inherent in what I do. I have a loving family and I have support and I have backers and I have, you know, 
a business of my own where I get to do something I love. And I feel like if you can do something to make something better, why wouldn't you, right? Like It doesn't yeah. seem like that's virtue signaling or like trying to show you what a nice person I am. Like, you know, I joke about it. I'm not a nice person inherently. Like, I'm not here trying to say that I'm like fucking Mother Teresa of Birmingham. Like, I'm not. The day we start looking to chefs to be our moral role models, like, that's when we've got a problem, <laughs> you know. But I talk pretty straight and I just think there's clearly a problem in the city with this. Mm. There's clearly a problem that at the moment there is not sufficient resource allocated to address. I don't see the fucking city council pulling their finger out. You know, I see a public that don't seem to engage with it. For every great act of kindness, there's, you know, there's someone who's, for whatever reason, like, so aggressive about it. You know, like, we had a night out with the lads maybe, like, six months ago, and there was a guy at the Action Bishop where a guy called Asher, who, you know, if you've ever seen the jury court say hello, he's a fucking legend. He's a great guy. He came up to us for some change. And, you know, a guy at the Action Bishop, no word of a lie, turned to him and said gave him a pound and said if you talk to me again I'll fucking kick your head in and I'm just like Jesus Christ Ooh. I mean you know I then proceeded to <laughs> get in an altercation with the uh, the tiny prick young man yeah. involved but like I don't get it I don't get it Yeah. you know if you're lucky enough to get to pursue your dreams which I am give thanks for that and realise that if that then gives you opportunity to do cool stuff because when we went to see Cypher they're so fucking humble yeah. Like, I can't overstate, like, even if you listen to the whole pos- podcast and think, what a prick. Like, I don't matter. Don't fucking do that. Don't say he, no, just go and look at what they do. Yeah. You know, go and speak to people and the things they deal with, you know. And they said, we need profile because they've not got the budget and the resource to get coverage. So we need people to raise awareness of what we're doing. Yeah. Um, and then ultimately we need to, we need to try and find ways to kind of, you know, change systems to provide opportunities, to provide employment. You know, it costs them a million a year just to cover their overheads to do what they do. Jesus. That's a million. Do you know what I mean? Like my restaurant doesn't do a million here. Like we do, you know, maybe like just over half of that, like, and they're doing that with like a skeleton team of people who really believe in what they're doing. And, um, I just felt like, look, you know, wouldn't it be great if we use the fact that, we can get a level of coverage. You know, we're not afraid to put our neck out and say stuff. And, you know, we have a resource that people will pay for. You know, yeah. that's that's the reality of it. You know, people want to come and do what we do. So we, we do it. And we're kind of, that's what we've tried to stay true to, really. And there's still so much more that we need to do. And it's not just us. Like, you know, Opus have been amazing. Like Ben over at Opus, like... What a fucking gent. He's gone down there, he's cooked, you know, he's done yeah. fundraising dinners with their corporate crowd and they've, they've done amazing things. And mm. like, that makes me so proud to be a brummy. It's not like, you know, there's lots of great people doing great things, but I'm just like, well, for every person who, you know, per, per my mate Kev, every person who dismisses it and goes, fuck you. Yeah. If one person then goes, actually, I can help with this. It's yeah. worth it. Yeah. You know, I don't need to be liked at this point. Like, I'm not fussed about that. But, you know, the, the scale of the problem is real. You know, if anyone's listening, like, I'm not making this shit up. This isn't me trying to be like, you know, a lefty. This isn't me trying to kind of scaremonger. Like, whatever your political allegiance, you know, this city has a real and an imminent problem with not enough resource to support people who are going to die on the streets. You know, that's it. That's and a fact, yeah. If you're not okay with that, then 
fucking do something. Do you know what I mean? Like mm. that for me is it's ironic. You say like rock and roll, fine dining, and you kind of play music, but like surely the most fucking punk thing you can do is to go. If you're not happy with something, change it. Yeah. And um, you know we've we've started to do stuff, and I think that's been that's been positive. Um, and we did a great t-shirt collaboration with Punks and Chances, which are a local clothing brand who I love. Uh, we've done 1500 so far just from t-shirt sales with, you know, with, with the kind of the cut from that going to, to Cypher. You know, yeah. Which. How did that come about? Did you approach Punks and Chances? Yeah, or? well, you know, like I've, I've worn their stuff for a little while because I think, you know, cool, it's nice yeah. to see a positive Birmingham message, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so I just messaged them and said, should we do something cool? Um, and we try to be really clever with it, you know. And in the end, they're iconic t-shirts. Yes, Bab. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I was just like, I'm a bit darker than that. Should we just go, no, Bab? <laughs> and we kind of turn it into a bit of a, don't be afraid to say no to stuff. Don't dismiss, you know, hating bad things isn't negativity. It's good. Yeah. Um, so we did no bad with them. And we've been working for a little while on trying to kind of structure employment opportunities for Cypher. But, you know, we've, we've dipped our toes in that. And that's that's the thing we keep behind closed doors. I'm never going to turn into like a, we're never going to be posting about it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like if we hire someone, we hire someone, that's it. They're a member of our family and we look after them. But we try to do that, but it's quite complex. Kitchens mm. are quite high pressure, intense environments to introduce someone to work. And yeah, you know, like with Cy, I think we're going to be, <coughs> we're going to kind of host a dinner next year, which will be me and loads of other chefs in the city kind of cooking again with, with everything, everything yeah. going, going yeah. to them. Um, and I think there's more of that stuff that we want to contribute to. Do you know what I mean? Like the days have been like, cool. You said, you know, you said content in an interview with the press. Like <laughs> I'm old enough to realize that's just immaturity, man. That's just me lashing out because yeah. I'm angry or because I don't know how to deal with it. Actually, like we just want to cook fucking amazing food that distributes to the city. And if along the way we've got the opportunity to kind of shake the hands of a few things that actually matter. Because me serving you like a 15 course menu, like, I don't mean shit, really. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's not, again, not to come back to it, but it's only fucking food. You know, I would rather you don't need that menu with us, don't spend the money with us, and you get someone who's going to freeze to death off the streets. You know, that's, to me, just logic. Yeah. And I, kn I know we're a business and you've got to tread a fine line, but, you know, and I hope you're kind of vouched, like, to anyone listening, like, this isn't a front, like, this upsets me. You know, this yeah. isn't yeah. This isn't a joke, this isn't a gimmick, nah. this isn't sort of like a tag on. I just think it's, when I started doing this as a pop-up, I didn't think it would go anywhere, do you know what I mean? And whatever else we've achieved, this is a three rosette restaurant, you know, this is a Michelin recommended restaurant, you know, I've got to do TV with this, I've got to do all sorts, and I get to do what I want every single day. And, I'm lucky enough that I think we can manipulate some of those skills to do something good. Something which isn't self-serving. Yeah. So we're just going to try and do that. Um, and you know, it's an open invite to anyone listening, any chefs who ever want to get involved in this, like w what little we've learned, we'll do it. We'll put you in contact. Like it's ain't territorial. Mm. It's not like a corporate, oh, we've picked that charity for the season. Yeah. It's just thing that, you know, I, I really feel about deeply. Yeah, you can tell it comes across really authentic everywhere. Know, I, I think the city is a fantastic place to be. It's changed irrevocably. We've all grown up here. And like this city, uh, I'm sure you'll vouch, when we were kids, it was a shithole. Like, <laughs> yeah, let's not dress it, it up. Like, like, yeah. It is an incredible city. But before we get too carried away with how amazing it is, we're only as good as how we're dealing with yeah. like the worst of it. 
and we're not. There's no point celebrating the food scene and how great it is, and then like you got tents you go coming in driving into the city there's tents of yep. homeless people like that's heartbreaking like, like you know there's oh another boutique hotel that's fucking great but if there's people who haven't got a roof over their heads that are, you know and I know it's not like I'm so aware that if I was listening to this it would fucking infuriate me do you know what I mean I'd be like well that doesn't mean that I kind of enjoy myself no no it doesn't at all like uh, yeah, you've yeah. worked hard enjoy your yeah, life yeah. but if you've got the opportunity to like make things a little bit better than, than they are like for me, it's a no-brainer. Of course, it is. So, I agree. Yeah, watch this space. Like you know, it's it's hard to balance everything else, but you know, I, I think it's it's been really good to help us focus on what matters, and it's been really good for us to realise. You know, cause you can get hung up in kitchens with like, oh, my supplier's not delivered scallops. <laughs> like fucking scallops, man! I swear, <laughs> like it's the hardest thing in the world to just consistently get delivered. Like you know, scallops or like, oh, my oven's broken or. Do you know what I mean? Context is good. Something's always going to happen, isn't it? It is, but, you know, realising what else is going on outside of your bubble, that's good. That keeps you kind of, not zen, I'm not zen, but, like, you know, it keeps you engaged. Yeah. It kind of gives you context. Yeah. So, not for everyone, I'm sure, you know, you can't help everything, but help something. Why not? So other than the restaurant changing venue, have you got anything else big lined up next year or you wanted to? Um, I've got a television show that I'm not allowed to name for legal reasons, but um, yeah. Don't name it. I thought you were going to name it. No, 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 I'm not. So yeah, I've got got a bit of my own TV coming up next year, which um, apologies for in advance. Um, And then uh, other than that, we've got um, the chocolates we've always done at the restaurant. So um, my pastry chef Barrett's like one of the most talented and down to earth chefs I've ever met. Yeah, he's 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 phenomenal, and um, what's really cool is he's just getting better. Yeah. Like being able to be part of that journey, and like you know, I'm the five percent. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm just there to just gently nudge and support and kind of challenge and, and yeah. you know, be that you know, be that educated palate to work with on stuff. But he's getting better, Did and you it's. Uh, no, so the, the the rum gummy bears were initially done for us by uh, a chef called Bruce, who's actually over at Swinford Hall now. Um, he's a good guy, but we kind of we've always liked to do playful stuff on the pastry side. Mm. But Barrett really, really loves the chocolate work, so um, we've got that going as an actual business next year. And we've got some really cool kind of projects, collaborations, collections. We've got a Christmas collection that um, I think is the best one we've ever done, like yeah, flavor wise, right. sort of like the the clarity and the ambition on flavor. Like I'm really, really pleased with that. So I've got that going live. Um, but other than that, to be honest with you, like I'm trying to do a little bit less. You know, I'm trying to do a little bit less, but make sure that everything I do is like absolutely on point. So it's a chance to double down on what we really enjoy, what we're really good at. Never say never, but I think my priority is just getting the wilderness right. Really, um, yeah. making sure that we we elevate what we do. Chocolate business is just you know we started it because it was fun, and it's it's actually through like people buying it and you know some interest from kind of bigger bigger like partners i guess that that's turned that into a little bit of a business and that's about it really like i fully appreciate after four years of us constantly fucking doing random crazy shit like there's an expectation but um you know my baby arrives on the 30th of april or around that date i think that's crazy enough for me next year do you know what i mean like yeah i'll be busy yeah one restaurant one baby like i feel (laughs) like that's that's significant enough these are questions I genuinely want to know about someone, and I think they do say a bit about the person. And me and Liam have answered these questions. I don't know. We'll get it out there. We'll probably put it up on a post, and people can see what our answers are. So, what's your favourite movie? 
do you know what? I'm just going to go with what at the moment I'm currently in love with, and that's Great Gatsby, which is definitely not the answer I wish it were. <laughs> um, like, I'm a bit of a horror buff. Like, I love horror films, but at the moment, like Great Gatsby, like I've watched quite a lot. Just not even so much like anything other than the aesthetic, but like I think, um, I think Baz Luhrmann's just a, a visionary. Yeah, 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 he captures yeah. and it really resonates with me. Other than that, like just really shit slasher films. Yeah. Like, honestly, like I wish it was more elevated than that. But like, <laughs> I just love a proper good fucking scary movie. There you go. You look at Liam's options. He's got yeah, but two down: The Crow and Lost Boys. All right, so I get one option. So you're already one. fucking breaking your own rules. <laughs> Rebel, o- Re- Rebel over here. <laughs> Fuck rock and roll restaurants, mate. Like between the original them. rock star. So, what's your favourite band? Uh, if I could only have one band of all time, I would probably take Queen. Good answer. It's not like it's the most basic fucking. No, answer. it's a good answer. I think they're so. It sounds daft to say underrated. It sounds an odd thing to say about Queen, I, but I, in the same yeah, sense, I people have it. this general idea of Queen as a it, band, and they just I, think, oh yeah, Bohemian Rhapsody, blah blah blah. I think for but me, they the were thing awesome. Is Queen are so mainstream that the talent in that band is normalised. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And like. I'm telling you, like, and this isn't empirical, but like, of all the songs we put on in here, the songs that mean the most to people or bring people the most together are Queen. Mm. Like the songs that have the entire room in unison, like tapping or like mouthing the lyrics, like it's still Queen. Yeah. Like you know, whatever else you have to say about that band, like they, you know, they crafted the most wonderful songs. Yeah. And like my, my old man loves Queen. You know, and I think that's kind of a very dear bond. I think we've all got that. Like, yeah, yeah, my associated with family, like, that means in. a lot. So, you know, I, I, I love Queen, but, you know, I'd be pretty fucked off if I was only allowed one band yeah. for life. But, you know, I think they'd tip the balance. Yeah. What's your favourite spirit? And this is specifically by bottle. Uh, like, specific variety of spirit. Yeah. Down to the bottle itself that you'd buy. Like mine, I'll, I'll open up straight away. Mine's four square rum, and it's the Premise one they've got. Like I'm obsessed by it. Um, obsession with rums normally referred to as alcoholism, but um, <laughs> we'll let you have it. Um, do you know what? Purely as bang for buck, um, I'd probably go Nika by the barrel. Yes, um, that's I the mean, first I, bottle of whiskey I ever had. That is. I love Japanese whiskey. Um, I think in terms of the balance of flavour clarity complexity and also kind of like just smoothness it's beautifully well crafted mm. and like you know I, I know that sounds daft but like whiskey's my my thing yeah you know it's the bottle very, as well I, the bottle's awesome I've been very well. fortunate to drink some seriously good whiskey you know I've been up to Isla with Bowmore and I've you know I've, I've got to taste you know some of their serious vintage expressions and you know wow. I still think that for value for money and appreciate that initially like because I don't want to first start drinking whiskey and anyone was like it's 50 quid for a boy he's like you fucking cunt <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing yeah. um, but then when you appreciate like the level of history and craft that Work. goes into that mouthfeel like it's phenomenal have you had the Lagavulin in 16 years I have that's, yeah. that's my favourite actual well, I, whiskey I, I mean I'm not choosy do you know what I mean like I, <laughs> I, I still like the, the whiskey I have at home on the go at the moment like and I'm not ashamed to say this quite the opposite is Jack yeah, like you know, I still think you know, an old classic. You know, we, we did a dinner with um, with the brand rep for Jack Daniels, and like I still think as an iconic spirit that's incredibly drinkable and also very interesting from a flavour perspective. Because when you next drink Jack Daniels, drink it. Banana's the main flavour, mm. and you never think of it, but the flavour compounds and the chemical composition of that as a whiskey, banana and vanillin. So yeah. if you eat foam bananas, the flavour chemically, the flavours of foam bananas and Jack Daniels are almost identical. And like when you do it for the first time, that will blow your fucking mind. Mm. But it's it's really informed everything we do with that 
that product now like actually if we're serving jack we will micro dose banana essence or bring banana and vanilla into the background not to to make a taste of that but to kind of season the drink um so that that was a tangent really just you know <laughs> no, jack daniels aren't even fucking sponsored <laughs> this one um sponsored by jack daniels yeah like you know <laughs> Well, no, I mean, that, that's what I'm drinking at the moment. Like that's, uh, you know, I, we did a collab with with Sacred, which is um, it's a blend of of whiskey from well from Britain, Ireland, Scotland, Wales, and um, I mean, it's eminently drinkable because it's um, you know lightly peated, sherry cask age. So it's got a sweetness too, which means mm-hmm. it goes down far too easily. Um, I've only got I think we've got four bottles left in the restaurant. Is that it then? And that's it. That it's done forever, which is um, kind of cool. But are you going to keep one and never open it or are you just going to fucking have them? You're overestimating my restraint here, mate. <laughs> a bottle of whiskey with a wax seal on it, like that's... You um, could just give it to someone and say, go and hide this from me. It, no, I, I'd beat someone <laughs> to death for a bottle of whiskey. I, I, I don't think that's going to happen. But yeah, like, you know, I, again, I'm not very good at the single choice vibe, but um, <laughs> yeah, Nika by the Barrel is a phenomenal valley for money whiskey and a great... Yeah, I agree with that one, 100%. What's your favourite beer? Not really a beer drinker, so I'm going to give an answer that everyone's going to be fucking disappointed in me, Guinness. Well, that's not a bad answer at all. If I had to weigh up the amount of liquid that Honest goes in my body God, this year, it'd probably be that. You know, and that's sort of it. Like, sometimes just doing what I do, if you get into an argument on Twitter about stuff, people will be like, oh, fuck you, I love Weatherspoons. I'm like, bro, me too. <laughs> like, I don't, don't misunderstand just because I cook food of this variety that suddenly, like, I'm only going to, like, drink a, like, you know top-notch places like you know my favorite bar in the world is a dive bar in los angeles where if you make eye contact you'll get hit in the face and that's because it's got an amazing bourbon collection no one talks to each other and everyone there hates themselves it's a fucking great place like, you know. <laughs> but you know for me guinness like anywhere in the world you go a pint of guinness ideally with a double whiskey on the side um <laughs> like fucking um, jameson's doing ipa barrel aged whiskey yeah i haven't on, tried this yet. honest to god like if you can get a double of that on the side with a pint of guinness like that is like living Really? Living life really well. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Proper good. What's your favourite big f- sort of food chain? Rather fast food or Nando's? Not? You're a Nando's, yeah, man. Nando's. Me and Liam have plenty of I arguments over Nando's. Off, you know, because like Paul Ainsworth did um, Paul Foster from Salt, his podcast, and uh, he said he talks about Nando's, he talks about the Fino Pitta, and I was so fucked off because he basically went, <laughs> took my order from Nando's, yeah, and then was like, oh, I've discovered this. And I was like, that's been my order for fucking like, that's my order. <laughs> but like, Fido Pitta from Nando's, man, like, you know, like, never knock it. Or even like, you know, if you're hanging off your tits, let's not forget, in pure consistency terms, and in terms of the number of people which they bring together and cost of value for money, the best restaurant in the world is McDonald's. Yeah. And no chef wants to say it, <laughs> but we spend our whole time banging on about consistency. I'm just saying. Yeah, you go anywhere in the world, you get the exact you know, same burger. I mean, the pedo clown's more problematic, but, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm not, I'm not above a, a good little bit of junk food. But nice. uh, Nando's, man, yeah. If you're getting takeaway, what is it? You don't have to say the place, just what type of food is it? No, I'll say the place as well, because I've got a problem, mate. Um <laughs> No, no, no. Uh, <laughs> so at the moment, I'm in Sutton Coalfield. Uh, there's a place called Papa's Pizza, uh, pizza art kebabs, and that. And like after service, that is, um, I've got like a devil on my shoulder. Like I've, I've literally this week, I've been like, no, this is enough. I'm gonna have to quit pizza. Yeah. But like, I'm quite an emotional eater, um, <laughs> and I know that about myself, and that's fine. I think we all are in different degrees, and there are certainly worse things you can do when you're emotional. Do you know what I mean? But um, there's a voice in my head that was sort of like, 
I know you feel sad now, <laughs> but imagine what imagine what twelve inches of of cheap pizza would make you feel like. <laughs> Could you take twelve inches every fucking time? Um, to the point that if I call them, they ask on the phone about hello Alex, and like they know what I do for a fucking living. Yeah. So this is deeply unfortunate because like I'm sorry, is that voice Joe Lysett? No, <laughs> it sounded no. exactly like him. He's, he's, he's not hidden within me. Um, Are you sure? <laughs> not last time I checked. Um, but yeah, like, you know, yeah, I love it because I, I, I personally, I love that kid. I like to chat to people. I like to kind of, you know, talk to them and stuff. But like, I've been there at the weirdest times because like the owner of it, I'm, unfortunately, I'm, I'm not familiar with his name, but like, he's, he's a really good guy. I like, I like him. But like sometimes I'll be in and be like, oh, chef, chef, I've got a pizza. I'm like, don't fucking, don't help me. <laughs> but like, I've just accepted it. Like, to be fair, so like, you know, I, I don't know massively well Glyn, but I've bumped into, you know, I've met Glyn a few times. Like, you know, we know, we see, we know each other well enough that we saw each other on the street. We're yeah, not, yeah. And the amount of fucking times I've bumped into Glyn with either Greg's under my arm or a fucking McDonald's bag. <laughs> every time, it's like he's got a radar. If I walk into the business district, with like comfort food, like, you know, holding it to me like it's my last fucking meal. That's when it comes out of Pennell's every time. <laughs> so I've kind of made peace with it. Like, you know, I eat absolute shit outside of work, yeah. which is why I have to wear this baggy sweatshirt now because <laughs> my abs are more like fabs now. Do you know what I mean? Like, we all know you get to that age and you're sort of like, this might just be the shape I am now. Yeah. Let's just yeah, embrace so it. You've just sort of got to accept it's still it at some point. It's still a shape, isn't it? We've <laughs> yeah. got to cling to that, lads. Um, but yeah, like pizza, Papa's Pizza in particular. Papa's like, you know, Pizza, yeah, that's a good one for people. Eight uh, ninety nine for pizza as well. Do you know what I mean? It's too easy. Large pizza. And you love him. Get that bit of kebab on the side. I'm a big fan of Caspian. I love Caspian pizza. Yeah. I mean, it's shit, but it's nice. But you know that's what I mean? just it, like you know. And, and this is the fascinating thing about food, isn't it? Like sometimes the emotional value of it's what matters. Yeah. Like, don't kid yourself. Like we all have a guilty pleasure. I have more than some, but like we all have a guilty <laughs> pleasure. What's your favourite breakfast place? I don't agree with breakfast morally, but um, <laughs> do you know what? I'd really struggle to answer that. Oh, I have a real issue. So really, not a big breakfast fan. Well, I love the idea of brunch. Like, I think brunch is, brunch is a really lovely idea. In my head, I'm like, you know, in the future, when all is well, you'll reward yourself with going for a brunch. <laughs> Just have a casual brunch, won't you? Um, <laughs> but my issue is, like, as a chef, and like, I don't think you know, I don't think the chefs will disagree. Like, you go for a brunch and fundamentally, like for me, I'm having poached eggs with something. And the amount of chefs in this fucking game who can't poach an egg to save their fucking life. <laughs> and I just get too angry. If I go somewhere and order poached eggs and what I get is sort of like somewhere between a fucking chicken and like a condom. <laughs> like, I don't want that shit. Um, you know, in, in the city centre, like, I'll give props with props is true. Like medicine, I quite enjoy. Yeah, yeah, it's nice. Um, really I over order nice. consistently. Apparently a side order of donut is not a thing with a breakfast, but that's where I'm at. I can't do sweet stuff in the morning. Just can't. You that's love right. you, like Liam. Everyone knows what Liam is. Mad on it, man. Um, medicine and like, you know, Yorks have, you know, Yorks have got some yeah, good stuff on their nice. menu too, but I'm just, you know, I'm much more a kind of a coffee, coffee and self-loathing kind of guy <laughs> for breakfast. Coffee and fags. Yeah, well, you know, I'm, I'm quitting smoking, so less so. Yeah, <laughs> but, um, yeah, you know, I, I think quite a lean breakfast is definitely the one for me. Well, that's all us done then. Thank you very Thank much, you. Alex. Thank you so much We've for loved um, this. for hanging out, spending some time with us. 
Yeah, thank you very much, Alex. Really appreciate it. No, honestly, absolute pleasure. Please keep uh, doing what you do. Love it. Cool, man. Cheers, guys. <laughs>